the ever-present pursuit of entertainment, education, and some adjective to be named later. The Homestar Army proudly presents Trek West 5, a conglomerate podcast of science fiction, politics, humor, and pretty much whatever else we want to talk about. Trek West 5 is brought to you in part by RocketWebDesign.com, custom web design at template website prices. Designs by Dee.blogspot.com, your online home for all your digital scrapbooking needs. Need a home along the Wasatch Front? Contact Lisa DeBagere with Kirkham & Friends Real Estate. No one will work harder for your home. And thehomestarmy.com, blogging to the world since 2004. Your hosts for Trek West 5 are Joey and Peter. Good evening and welcome to podcast 128. I am Peter. And I am Joey. And uh, boy, it's been a long time since uh, we've done this. Two weeks for us, but I guess they had a podcast last week. They did, yeah. So you should be happy about that, everyone. Um, hey, welcome back. Anything yeah. spectacular happen? Oh, we had an interesting event yesterday. At least I found it particularly interesting. Uh, Pete, you and I both went to our individual caucus meetings. That is correct. And I voted in two caucuses. Wait, what? I went back and forth between a couple of rooms. <laughs> you were just wandering around. Yes. <laughs> I nominate that man with the mustache. Uh, for those people who don't know, a caucus is the way that Utah handles their political yeah. primary stuff. And uh, it's a little different than, I think, most states. Uh, I think we're one of the few that still do this, even. Uh, are you a fan of this, or would you like to go to the primary system? I'm a fan of the caucus system. Is that because it forces you to get involved? No, I, th- I think it's easier to have a, a more local effect. So when, when you have a, a mass primary, then I, think it's e- I feel it's easier to buy an election with a mass primary. All you have to do is add blitz the other guy into the ground. Let me ask you this. What do you say to those people who would, you know who are against the caucus system, who would say, look, it, it gets hijacked all the time. I'd say show up and get other people to show up so that that doesn't happen. Okay. There's a great quote by a woman named Alice Sturgis who wrote a book called Principles of Parliamentary Law. And what she said, I'm going to try and see if I can get the quote exactly, but I may screw it up a little bit. Uh, I believe the exact quote is, while it is true that parliamentary procedure can be used to obstruct the will of the majority, that is only possible when the majority is ignorant of their parliamentary rights. So, if you don't want it to get hijacked, very simple solution. Get involved. Well, it looks like it's going to get hijacked, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so, Joey was uh, bugging me during the week. He's like, oh, are you going to go? I'm like, eh well, I've got to watch these episodes. <laughs> He's like, oh yeah, that's a good reason to skip the caucus. Uh, Actually, what I said was, no, that's a good reason to skip the caucus. The <laughs> <laughs> person is over, I am. So apparently the tone did not transfer correctly. <laughs> yeah, of course. So anyway, you gave me the address. Yes. And so I looked at it and I saw, oh, Morton Drive. Okay, yeah, I know where that elementary school was at. I didn't look at anything else. All I saw was Morton Drive. So at about 10 to 7, I... Went down Morton Drive? Went down to Morton Drive just 
down the road because that's where the elementary school is. Well, it turns out there is another elementary school over there yeah. on also Morton Drive. I even sent you a Google Maps link. You didn't send me a Google Maps link. You just sent me the address. I just didn't look at the... Did, word, I, did I ask you if you wanted a Google Maps link? I don't know. Okay. It doesn't matter. Right. It, it, I, I, I just pulled it up look. to Google Maps and saw that it was a long way away from your house. I, I just noticed I didn't bother to look and see what the north was on all of that. So anyway, I walked down there and I'm, I'm standing there and I'm thinking, what the heck? Did they cancel this thing? Did <laughs> you get moved? So I'm like, huh, uh, well, I guess I'll walk home. I... So I walked home, and I thought, it just seemed really odd that this, all of a sudden they would just change something. Yeah. So I went and I looked it up, and I, that's when I realized I was in the wrong spot. So jumped in the car, ran down there, and uh, I was late, of course, and so I missed the opening stuff, but I'm not sure I really missed yeah, anything not, too not much, lot, really. except for the explanation of what was going on. <laughs> and so for the, about the first 10 to 15 minutes, I was completely lost. Okay. Didn't have a clue what was going on. But I finally got the gist of what was happening. And it was interesting to listen to the people talk about, you know, their interest in politics and how they felt about certain things. I didn't have any of the real crazies in uh, in mind, but I, I've heard the stories of some other people who, <laughs> you know, the little <laughs> Fruit Loops who just do strange things. Yeah. Um, anyway, I, I thought for the most part it was positive experience. I'll probably go back to one. Maybe you'll run for something next time. I, I don't see that happening. <laughs> uh, but I, I, I think probably because I know so very, very little about what is involved in doing anything at that level. So I'm happy at this point just to show up and voice my opinion through a vote regarding those people who are going to speak for me. Oh, that, uh, it is representative democracy, so yeah. Uh, maybe I, you know, maybe I could find a way to monetize this. Is there much call for <laughs> sell, selling sell your, my boat? Your precinct boat? <laughs> I don't think so. Is, it, is there a law against it? I'm pretty sure there would be. There'd at least definitely be a law against purchasing it. You can, you can put it up for sale, but you can't buy it, one of those kind of things. I won't divulge who's bought it from me. Uh, anyway, so that, yeah, I guess that was a cool thing that happened this week. Yeah, I went and I actually ended up somehow getting voted as the secretary and treasurer. I don't know what makes them think they can trust the, me with well, their the money. Well, the secretary slash treasurer. Yes. So it's not... You well, know, you didn't get elected to two positions. It's just the one position. No, it's two positions. But yeah, it's one position. It's two positions. It's one position. Why are you arguing with me about this? Because I had to vote for the same thing, and I saw them written up on the board, secretary slash treasurer. That's because that one is position. how your precinct chose to vote for it. They are two separate <coughs> positions as far as the party is concerned. Secretary... And treasurer. Okay, so your group voted for it the exact same way, thus making it one position. <laughs> Two positions. No, one damn body. You. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, you got elected to that plus uh, county delegate, which, county was, delegate. which is what I really wanted. I, and I went in there. That's with where that. the real power is. So now well, you can abuse the system. <laughs> I don't know. There's a lot of power there, but that's certainly where I feel like the things things are the most broken. Really. Why would you want to go there, then? There's no power. What's the point? I want to start fixing things. Oh, I thought you just wanted money. 
I have that. Now I'm the treasurer. <laughs> People gave me like a hundred bucks last night. <laughs> hey, let's go to Rio. I haven't figured out yet how to cash checks made out to the Republican Party. <laughs> there should be a way that you could... Uh, Just tell them, look, I'm the secretary. Wash those checks of the ink. <laughs> well, that's exciting. I, I think that you're going to have fun doing that. And uh, I hope you don't screw it up. Yeah, me too. <laughs> Uh, okay, since uh, we don't have any further business, um, I could read an email. Let's do it. This is from listener Cy. Okay. Haven't heard from Cy for yeah. a while. Hey guys, sorry about the Peter Jackson Lee epic length of time it has been since I contributed in a meaningful way to the podcast. Other than ripping off other people's online achievements and sticking links to them on the Facebook page. <laughs> By the way, Sai, I really think you got robbed when Joey awarded that Facebook find of the week to that stupid YouTube link. Your other thing was much cooler. Uh, he continues, I would like to think of my absence as though I heroically went off in search of the errant JD and brought him back to the fold. <laughs> well done. <laughs> But alas, I can't really lay claim to anything quite so altruistic. Instead, I've been going through the sarcasm alert, sarcasm alert, cheap, easy, and stress-free process of buying an apartment in London. I think we need the bell. Go, go, go. get the bell, get the bell. Ah, there we go. That's the uh, the sarcasm alert bell. <laughs> <laughs> Seems a worthy... The, the uh, multi-purpose bell. Yeah. Uh, further to that, add in a dose of being busy at work, mixed with being generally quite lazy. I anticipate that joining the legions of indentured property slaves will, though, give me the email-sending, TV-watching gumption boost I need. <laughs> Having said that, I have never seen any of Studio 60 either, although I did hear good things about it. So I am going to, quote-unquote, watch it vicariously through your reviews. Admittedly, this opens me to, a potentially, uh, to potentially being the victim of a mass-orchestrated practical joke about the content of the show, <laughs> as I'll have no way of verifying what you say happens is true. New feature idea... What can we fraudulently convince Sai happened this week? <laughs> Keep trekking, Sai. Um, yeah, that, that could be fun. You know, each each listener each week gets to you know throw something in. Yeah, and maybe uh, maybe well, Sai well, has to guess what well, thing is not true. So you and I have to come up with a list of let's say five things every week, and one of them will select from listener submissions. <laughs> And we'll just insert them at some point and say, you know, do we warrant? Do we we notify? We say, okay, this is one of the possibilities. Sigh, true or false? <laughs> Jordan McDear has six arms. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. Oh, so good. Okay. Um, Facebook find of the week. Facebook find of the week. Uh, you know, it's going to listener side. Oh. You know, uh, did, did he call it fraudulently, fraudulently taking other people's content? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
So good, good job with the fraud this week. You are you are our top fraud of the week. <laughs> uh, it's the Mickey and the Beanstalk video. Oh, I really? love that video. I actually have watched it several times. That, um, where they're you know it's <laughs> they're starving to death and stuff like that. Great, hilarious stuff. I love it. Yeah, that, that was pretty funny. The idea of, of Mickey and and Donald and Goofy starving to death to death because this pleases me for some reason. Well, they're animals. I, I really think they should just kill one another. And they've got foodie. Not the mouse, because that doesn't seem like it's very tasty. But certainly the cow. I, I'm in favor of killing that Wait, cow. cow? Yeah. I thought Goofy was a dog. Goofy is a dog. Oh, oh, oh. There was a cow. Yeah, there was a cow. Um, yeah, right did there. you even watch this, I Joey? I thought we were talking about the, the Mickey, Goofy, and Donald. And I'm like, what? <laughs> I think I'd kill the duck, actually, between the three of them. <laughs> Uh, well, sorry, listener Fishhead. Uh, I know you submitted that really awesome thing uh, two weeks ago. You just didn't win again. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, let's see here. We need to go to Brainy Smurf. Okay. And his Nook of Darkness. He says, Oh, so it was a two-parter. I get it. Well, I'm very sorry for not being able to comment on Studio 60 yet. Um, anyways, dudes, congratulations to our czar for the successful completion of the game of his own devising. I thought I would employ this nook to briefly examine the uh, ephemeral JMS TV series, Jeremiah. Hmm. As many of the minions have been chomping at the bit to discover other JMS television projects, many more have quickly dismissed Jeremiah. If for no other reason than the star is Luke Perry. Yes, Dylan from 90210. And his sidekick is Malcolm Jamal Warner. Yes, Theo from The Cosby, Cosby Show. show yeah. So my buddy and I jokingly referred to this show as the Dylan and Theo Show. <laughs> and really, they are not so bad. Especially after considering the lineup of low-caliber actors that Babby 5 offered. Therefore, Jeremiah is not dismissible just because of the actors. The show is based on a graphic novel where a virus kills everybody over the age of puberty. So the setting for this world is in modern times, about 10 years after the big death. There are only two seasons to Jeremiah, and it does display a level of sex and bad language that is certainly far from Mormon standards, so consider yourself forewarned. Yeah. JMS wrote 60% of the episodes. The other writer dude is almost a detilio. <laughs> but the series does have its moments. There is an episode in the first season that examines a practical avenue for mythology to develop in our culture through a little boy's admiration for a superhero. The first season also ends with a truly awesome execution of tactical infiltration strategy. Overall, the series is... meh. It makes me wonder why. Why, JMS, can you do a project that has amazingly unreachable potential? How many times have we wondered how good Babby 5 could be without the series finale occurring in the first half of season 4? It seems as though JMS has great ideas and great abilities and an inability to play nicely with others. Maybe um, maybe that's why 
Yeah, sorry. He maybe that's why why dig him so much. Okay. We. I'm assuming we it could be why they dig him so much, why someone digs him so much. One other moment shines through the series of Jeremiah as a whole. Fractal theory. JMS posits a few great monuments of writing where the fractal theory is considered to be the closest explanation that humans can offer toward defining God. It is a very well done scene. And the point is that as soon as you begin to gr get a grasp on whatever meaning one is trying to convey, the definition is forced to be redefined. As soon as you think you have it, it's gone. So the series of Jeremiah is a journey for the main character to find his father in a post-apocalyptic world of parentless 20-year-olds. Sometimes it's interesting, sometimes it's stupid. Although it is better than I thought it would be. Plus, there is a super hot chick, Joanne Kelly, now on Warehouse 13. So, there's that. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Check it out if you're jonesing for some more JMS. Later, dudes. Ambassador Brainy Smurf. She was on Jeremiah. Oh, why did I not make that connection earlier? Okay. It's because you hate all things JMS. No, that's not true at all. <laughs> <laughs> no, I would have thought that would have for sure been the right answer uh, I, I gave up on Jeremiah midway through the second season it, it, it had too many of the Dottilio moments kind of felt like Straczynski had, had walked away from the project or I don't know he just didn't seem like he was engaged in laying the groundwork that you know I expected the long arc kind of stuff and it kind of seemed to be petering out so I, I checked out <laughs> hey your, your friend John Madsen started it <laughs> yeah, so let's continue it, by yes, the way. absolutely. Um, okay, Joey's Culture Corner. Yeah, uh, it is the movie <laughs> Network. Um, so I, I chose this one because it's mentioned several times here in the first episode of Studio 60. Uh, it's, a, it's a movie from, 19, I think, 1976. Um, and it stars, actually, William... Holden? Holden, thank you, who was in the 1954 version of Sabrina. Uh, obviously, he's 20 years older or so. Uh, the The premise is there's a, a guy who's been a, a studio news anchor for 11 years, and the channel that he's on, the network that he's on, has been purchased by a new company, and they've decided his network news show has too low of ratings, and they, they tell him, they give him two weeks' notice. You're, you're going to be let go. So he goes on the air that night and says, Ladies and gentlemen, I've been told that I have two weeks left on this TV show. I am being canceled after 11 years of being you know, your, your news anchor. And so one week from tonight, on this show, I will commit suicide. <laughs> and the thing is, because this guy is like the consummate professional, he's been doing this for 11 years, no one in the booth is paying attention. And so he does this whole bit about how he's going to commit suicide, and that'll give the the marketing guys a week to you know ramp up promotion. I'll, I'll give them a week, <laughs> and to, let's see if we can't get the ratings up, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> wow! And they finally cut him off the air, uh, and, and so you know they, they obviously you know no more two weeks. That's it. You're done. You're never going on the air again. And he goes home that night and. You know, he's thinking about it. So he calls up his best friend, who was his boss, 
and is the the director of the news and says, hey, you know, I, I feel really bad about what happened last night. Give me one more chance. He says, I, I, will, I will submit my script to you guys. I just want a chance to actually say goodbye to my audience. I kind of lost it. You can understand. It was a, bit, it was a bit emotional. Please, please give me another chance. I'm like, okay, we'll give him another chance. So right before that happens, the network, uh, the, the, the news director is at a shareholders meeting with, for the new owners. And they announce, uh, we're going to be putting the news department under control of the programming department. So it's now going, you, you know, it's always been an independent division so that news is on its own. They're saying, no, we're going to move it now so it's all owned by the same, it's all run by the same group. And this guy had had a, a guarantee from the owner of the network that he would have complete autonomy. So he, he, he's in a bad mood. He goes down to the, the broadcast and right as the, the anchor is starting his broadcast and the anchor just starts saying, ladies and gentlemen, you know, I want to apologize for last night. I, I lost my temper. And it's because I was all out of BS. And they're like, oh, you know, he's off the rails again. Quick, cancel it. And the guy who just, you know, found out he's having his legs cut off underneath him says, no, leave him on the air. So they let him do this whole rant about how, you know, life is just a bunch of bullcrap and I'm out of bullcrap. That's how we, the lies we tell ourselves that keep us going. And when you run out of them, that's it. There's nothing left and you don't know where to go next with your life. So, uh, you know, and I won't, I won't recount the whole, the whole movie, but what happens is uh, from there, the, one of the, other characters realizes we're getting ratings bumps from this guy going nuts on TV. And rather than fire him and cancel his show, we're going to feed into that. And the guy actually basically has a nervous breakdown and they just keep feeding it. Meanwhile, that same person, the, the, it's the woman, uh, Faye Dunaway is the, is the actress. So she has this plan to, okay, let's feed this this news anchor who's completely off the rails. Let's keep feeding his mania. And on the, on the other side, she's doing a project. She wants to fund a network TV series, which is real acts of terrorism by the People's Liberation Army or something like that. So they got a hold of some footage where this radical communist group was robbing a bank, filmed, it, filmed themselves robbing the bank. She gets in contact with the communist group and says... I want to put it on the air, but I want to make it a TV show where you guys actually perform real acts of terrorism, film it, get us the footage, and we'll turn it into a TV show. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, good grief. You can can imagine how things go off the rails from that point. But uh, the the one, the biggest caveat about this show is it's really, really profoundly laden. I mean... I think I stopped counting the F word at the number 17. Uh, good Lord, why would you keep watching it? Because <laughs> it was a good movie. And I actually, I watched this the first time when I was auditing a, um, a college course on film, like film history and, and pr- film production and stuff like that. So it was actually an assignment for a class. I wasn't enrolled in the class, but I, I had permission from the instructor to sit there and take the class more or less. Uh, so I watched it initially for that, and then I went. I, I was thinking, you know, they kept referring to it in the pilot episode. And I thought, I wonder if I'm over inflating how much profanity there was in that movie. So I went back and I rewatched it this week. And I'm like, nope, nope. There's this is as much profanity as I remembered there being. Uh, and and there's wow. one 
kind of racy scene with the with Faye Dunaway's character that is a little inappropriate. But I enjoyed the story that uh, I can't remember his name now, Chayanovsky or something like that, the guy who wrote it. I liked what he the story he was trying to tell. It was the the whole thing was about how the way we consume our media. And if we're not careful, how that can just lead us to really turning off our brains. Very much along the lines of what we're trying to do with this podcast. Yeah. Th- thank goodness uh, modern media ha- is immune to that and has not had that happen. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's in, a good thing we had him to stop that, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, okay, well, thumb up or thumb down? Uh, thumb sideways. Uh, thumb there's a, sideways. Lot, a, a lot of profanity in it. Boy, we did not take a stand yeah. there, Mister. I, I, I took a firm, Mr. sideways stance. Switzerland. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, move on to episode two. Let's do it. Yeah. All right, we are going to be covering uh, Studio sixty on the Sunset Strip, and we will be covering season one, uh, episodes one through four. Um, now, before we get into that. I have an email. Okay. This is from the Gink. Okay. Now he the reason I want to do this right now is because he kind of talks a little about West Wing Studio sixty. He hits a few th- okay. different things, so I want to do that at the beginning if that's all right. Hi guys, long time no email. I apologize for that. Been a pretty big twelve months for me with developing my business and family stuff. In fact, I'm happy to say my wife gave birth to my second child this week. Yep. And I now have two daughters. Smiley face. Cute little girl, too. I saw her on Facebook. Nice. Uh, she's already got her own page? Wow. He had a picture of her on on his feed. Oh, okay. Well, all right. Maybe she'll get a Facebook page. <laughs> uh, I was very excited to see you two have decided to review Studio 60 and the Sunset Strip. It is a show I have seen when looking at IMDb and noticed a lot of the main characters of the West Wing made their way onto it. It was a show that I have noticed was available on DVD and you have given me the inspiration to finally buy it. I will try and give some thoughts on the show and I hope I can add to the conversation a little. We'll discuss um, my early thoughts now. Uh, The pilot was pretty well done. Pretty much shows how in one night you can replace the heart of live comedy show only in Hollywood. It was fun seeing Josh Lyman... Oops, sorry. (laughs) Danny Tripp, early character development. In fact, I think it displays why the show only lasted one series. As great as the storylines and characters are, it is almost like Josh Lyman quit as Matt Santos's chief of staff and decided to become the executive producer of Studio 60. Uh, even more funny, the use uh, they used the name Danny for him, the very name of Cal's alter ego, Danny, from the West Wing, <laughs> who is now uh, upstairs running the camera angles for the show. I enjoyed the show greatly so far, but seeing this aired within six months of the West Wing finishing, there is too many similarities between the shows. I honestly think it would have been a lot more successful if they started airing it now rather than 2006. I will get into my enjoyment of the storylines in coming weeks, but I think it is on 
uh, air way too soon after the West Wing's demise. But enough about that. I will add a little bit more to this argument as the show goes on. They set up Matt Albee as the main character. Something you can see early on is going to work. Set up the romance between him and Harriet. Although ever so briefly to get sh the show going. You can also see Jordan McDeer is going to be the smart but trendy boss. Not a lot else to gain out of these first two episodes at this stage. Like the setting up of the characters and am looking forward to getting into more detail about the storylines as the show gets going. Sorry, but this week has gotten away from me with everything happening. I just wanted to add something to your show, even though very brief. Hopefully I can give you a more detailed and better review of the show in the coming weeks. Looking forward to listening. Regards, The Gink. I think we can give him a pass. Uh, where did he what? find time to watch two episodes? <laughs> Good grief. Well, clearly his wife is well put together to be able to handle this. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Good, um, welcome back, Gink. It, it, yeah. Seriously, yeah, yeah, you're a good kid. We like having you around. <laughs> okay, um, moving on to the first episode. Joey, okay. do you want to read us our summary? NBS's live sketch comedy show, Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip, hits dire straits when the showrunner is fired for a public on-air meltdown. New network president Jordan McDeer hatches a daring plan to save the show and return the network to dominance by hiring back disgraced former writer Matt Albee and director Danny Tripp. Okay. That should be my longest intro. I thought, you know, <laughs> launching into it here, let's give it a little bit more than I a I wasn't going to give you a hard time. <laughs> you, I saw you warming up there. You were inhaling for the invective. <laughs> Not at all. But, since you did bring it up. <laughs> I've got some notes here we can go over. All right. <laughs> uh, no, I really enjoyed this pilot. Yes, I think this is one of the strongest pilots I can remember. Yeah, it it, uh, it was really, really solid. Um, this series, this show, is going to be a behind-the-scenes look at a sketch comedy show like Saturday Night Live. Yes. Although, I noticed they went to great lengths to indicate that Saturday Night Live, what's in its own world, it existed still in yes. there. Yes, Michaels is out there. Yes. We're, we're, this isn't Saturday Night Live. I think that's what they were trying to get across. Yeah, I, I got that. <laughs> uh, there was something that happened, I think, f very early on. The uh, character as played by Dear John. Um, <laughs> Jed Hirsch. <laughs> I don't know what his name is. I just wrote down. I love Dear Jed John. <laughs> he's always great. Everything he's ever done, I've, I really enjoy yeah, him. Yeah, he's good. I, I'm not hating him. I just only know him as Dear John. <laughs> he says, quote, Living with free speech... Means you sometimes get offended. Close quote. And I wanted to start out with that a little bit. Okay. And say, are we right or are we wrong about that? Is is that okay? What do we think? I think it's I, I think it's okay because if you never said anything that was offensive to anybody, you would never have freedom in the first place. Because there's always gonna be a group of people to whom that idea is offensive. They want to be the kingmakers. Or we just kick all of those people out and we start up our own grand society. <laughs> Thank you, FDR. <laughs> I'm not sure why that's attributed to FDR, but grand okay. Society? Oh, it was the Great Society, wasn't it? 
I was going for more of like a dictator or a communist <laughs> ruler. <SDR. laughs> uh, anyway, uh, you know, uh, one of the things that I will be probably bringing up a lot over the course of this this show is my own experience in theater. Uh, when I was in in high school, and for can we call that theater instead you of can. theater? You, you certainly can. You may call it whatever you like. You have free speech. No. <laughs> all right, I'll try and offend you then. Um, I, you know, all the, all the way through high school and for a couple of years after I left high school, uh, I thought I was going to be a professional stage technician of some sort. Um, and just watching this show, every time I watch it, there's always a, a, a very strong element for me of nostalgia for that. You know, because what, what we did was live theater. So it, it has that aspect of, of, of a live show and all the things that can and do go wrong. Right. Um, I, you know, I, and here and there I'll, I'll try to break up my, my stories about it, but I've, I've had a few fun experiences that, you know, over the years of being a stage technician that hopefully we'll, we'll, I'll get to share some of those stories. Okay. So getting back to the free speech thing means you sometimes get offended. Now, just because you have free speech, do you think that gives you license to try to offend people? I don't think so. Because I think a lot of what what I'm going to call the mainstream America, you know, what we consider the traditional American home, looks at Hollywood and the like and oftentimes sees them as, okay, you're just doing this for shock value. You're just trying to be offensive. You're just segment trying of the to do this. That's doing that. Yeah. Do you think that that's appropriate? No, do you I think don't. that that's okay? Should they be doing that? Those are two different questions. Do I think it's okay? I, I I certainly think they are within their rights to do so. Do I think they should be doing that? No. I, why? What is the value in intentionally upsetting people? I, I've never understood it. They would probably counter or respond to that by saying, we're trying to get you to pay attention to a certain issue. There are other ways to do it, would be my response. And their response back might be, but you're not paying attention to them. This is the only way we could manage to get you to do something. Now, I'm intentionally playing the devil's advocate here because I'm trying to get across what I think is my point is, I think it's okay. I think you have to let them do that. I think you do need to set up bounds and a corral to a certain extent. <laughs> yeah. Which is kind of what we have going on within the television, you know, loose though they may be by most people's <laughs> standards. I think you I think you got to I think it's okay to do it. I think. I so I would say again, I, I go back to are you saying it's okay? Yes, it's okay. Does that mean I think it's a great thing to do or a good idea or something I approve of? No. You have the right to do it. That doesn't mean you should. Find a better way. There's always a better way to do it than that. And I think I'm coming down and saying on their side to the extent of nobody's paying attention to it. Uh, The act of civil disobedience, so to speak. Uh, Prime example. Oh, in the news because it was all over the news when I was listening on the drive home, 
George Clooney and several congressmen were arrested out front of the Sudanese embassy in Washington today. And they were doing it specifically to get people to pay attention to the issue of what's going on in Sudan about this, I don't know if it's genocide or, you know, terrible atrocities that are happening. I think that I would stand up for those people's rights. Maybe I don't agree with what they're doing, but I still would stand up for them and say that... You and I are saying the same thing. Are we? I would stand up for their right to do it, but in private tell them, you're a bonehead, find a better way to do it. I'm not sure I would go to that extent. I'm not sure in private I would tell them that. Okay. I may say, I wouldn't do that. Okay. But it's... I, I, think, we're, I think we're more alike than we are different, at least, on this issue. I prefer we were more different. How can we get there? Um, I can take my pants off. <laughs> <laughs> you win? <laughs> Whatever means that you keep your pants on. Uh, I, I, I used that one. Because the one idea that was rolling around in my brain as you were talking, you know, you were talking about how how far Hollywood is away in some aspects from what is considered acceptable by what we generally think of as the average American. Yeah. One of the things that's always interesting to me is the, you know, the culture in America is you can show an awful lot of violence on broadcast television, but you show any nudity and you're in big trouble. Yeah. And you see almost the exact opposite in Europe and, and a lot of the, you know, uh, Outside the United States, and and so it's always interesting to me. You know, that I have a lot of friends that are from Europe that are just horrified by the v- amount of violence that we're allowed to see on television here. And they're like, you know, heaven forbid you actually you know see a woman's bare chest, but it's okay for Jack Bauer to kill five hundred and thirty people in the course of one season. Here, here. <laughs> so it's interesting. More Jack Bauer killing naked women. <laughs> No, that's not where you were going. <laughs> we'll, we'll compromise. <laughs> that's what you were... Anyway, it's interesting that you know the, the dividing line between the two culture, you know, the two styles of what's acceptable on television. Uh, some, something that I think is worth you know noting and, and taking an interest in. Yeah, we could probably show less violence on TV and, and still tell really good stories. But I sure do like Jack Bauer. He was awesome. He was. He was pretty dang cool. Um, Okay, this, uh, I guess, kind of feeds into a little bit because they also, in this episode, have, you know, Dear John runs into the standards and practices guy. Look, I don't remember what his name is. Judd Hirsch. No, 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 no. What's his character? Oh, Wes? I can't remember. Was it Wes? It was Wes. What's the character's name? Well, he's only on this episode. He's not in They refer to him several times over the series. Uh, Wes, I should really just strike out Dear John here. <laughs> Wes. I might remember that. Wes has this run-in with standards and practices. Where standards and practices is saying, no, you will not. And Wes is saying, oh, yes, I will. I, I, I think we sometimes get this false idea about what Hollywood is. That Hollywood is only a vehicle for entertainment. And I think that that's wrong of us to consider that that's what all Hollywood is. I think that's one aspect of Hollywood. I think it is also um, 
it's trying to tell a story. It's trying to do something. It's it is activism. Yeah, and yeah, I think that it, I, I think that it is. I, I I'm glad that they do. I'm glad that it's not just pure entertainment. I may not dis- I may not agree with a lot of what comes out of Hollywood as far as you know what their personal practices and standards and issues are. But I'm glad that they at least are using it for more than just a medium of entertainment. Is did my point come across yes. well? Yeah, I think it did. Okay, good. As long as you got it, I'm good with that. Uh, you know, I see what you're saying, but there are some things that I actually I think I'd be more comfortable with it if I thought it was just entertainment. Really? There, there are some things that I'm like, man, that was. They're, they're they're indoctrinating so subtly on certain things that I think I would rather believe that they were just going for the laugh than really trying to send some kind of message about what's okay. It's time for you to get involved. Joey, you right. need to make a television show. <laughs> I, I have one in the works, Pete. All right, excellent. Now, uh, one of the things that Wes gets up and rants about is he, he's... I th- he talks about art versus commerce. So for him, a lot of this seems to be a lot about art. We're trying to... This is an art form. We're yeah. trying to we're portray yes. this great, wonderful, beautiful thing. And we're just being ramrodded by the salespeople, you know, the marketers, the people who are trying to advertise. We're just getting pushed around here. And this isn't about art anymore. And you people who are watching, you are being duped. You are absolutely just getting railroaded here, and I'm not going to be a part of it anymore. Yeah. This is terrible. You should stand up. You should turn off your TV. Change the channel right now. Do it. Go change the channel. Which actually, uh, there's, there's, uh, it's a very similar piece of dialogue comes out of the movie Network, where he's, turn off the TV right now. Get up, go outside, and yell, I'm mad, and I'm not going to take it anymore. And you, the, one of the characters opens the window at home, and you hear all these people shouting, I'm mad, I'm not going to take it anymore. <laughs> That's nice. Uh, okay, so let's say you're Danny in the uh, in the, the broadcast room. No. Remember his Cal. name? Cal, thank you. I should really... <laughs> if you start saying Danny, everyone's going to be confused, man. Good point. <laughs> really good point. Uh, would you have caved... And switched it off, or would you have done what Cal did, which is say, no, 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 this is his show, it stays on, he hasn't done anything wrong. I, I, would, have, I, I would have been in exactly what Cal was, I'm waiting for him to say something that's not true. Even though Cal admitted after the fact, he's like, yeah, I know, we practiced this stuff, I should have turned him off. Yeah. I think I would have turned him off. Okay. I think I would have. I think I would have sat there and said, well, is this worth my job? Uh, the rules are pretty clear on this. I do like him. Uh, time to turn you off. If I liked what he was saying, if I agreed with what he was saying, I'd leave him on. Okay. Um, who knew Ed Asner was still alive? I know. <laughs> I was thinking that, I was, I was just like, I, I don't even remember that being Ed Asner. Like, I, I watched this before. I watched it several times before. I don't remember that character being played by Lou Grant. I, I thought he was dead. In fact, it's Wait, really... Wait, Lou, Lou Grant? Yeah, Ed Asner played the character Lou Grant on oh, oh, the oh. Mary Tyler Moore show. Oh, I see. Uh, it was really interesting because the day after I watched this episode, I caught a promotion for 
the new episode of Hawaii Five-O, the new the re- re- remake of Hawaii Five-O. Yeah. And Asner's on this week's episode You're of Hawaii me. Five-O. <laughs> I'm like, wow, that's weird. <laughs> Will that man never die? Will someone not end him, please? <laughs> oh, well, we actually like Ed Asner, I yeah. think. Uh, don't anybody kill him. Okay, uh, so we've got some uh, new characters we should introduce here. We've got uh, Cal... I almost said Danny again. <laughs> Played by Timothy Buffsfield. Um, we all we love him. I, we, we were all fans of him, so yes. we're happy he's here. And I like the character of Cal, and I think he does a good job of, of being a different guy. Yes, of course. With, with the limited screen time he has, he, he chose some different mannerisms and some different ways of expressing himself to differentiate himself from the character of Danny Kincannon. And I think he's got good comedic timing. Yeah, he, knows, he knows how to deliver a line. Yeah. Uh, now, as far as the cast is concerned, we have D.L. Hughley, who plays... Simon? Simon Richens? Right. Simon Cowell. I don't think I... No, he I plays don't. Simon Cowell. <laughs> I didn't write down his last name. Um, then we have Harriet Hayes. Yeah? As played by... I don't know her name. Some woman. Yeah. I'm not that attracted to her, by the way. Yeah, I don't I didn't think she was that attractive. And then we have the other guy, the short kid who can... Yeah, it's Tom Jeter is the is the Tom character's name. Tom Jeter, thank you. And he's played by... Uh, Carl I have Lewis. Nathan Cordry. Uh, I actually really like this guy. He's currently on uh, the TV show Harry's Law. And, and I really okay. like the, the role that he plays on that show. Okay, good for him. Um, of course, we have... Simon Stiles. Simon Stiles. Right. Thank you. Um, so those are the main cast members. We have others. They're but called those, the big three. Yeah, they're, they're the, the main ones that a lot of stories are going to be focused around. Um, then we have Amanda Peet. Uh, I think we have our hot chick. I think we have our hot chick as well. I approve. <laughs> She's great. Uh, and she plays Jordan something or other. McDear. Okay, I'll agree with that. Um, then we have Matt... Matt Albee. Matt Albee. Played by... Matthew Perry. And then we have Danny Tripp, played by... Josh Lyman. <laughs> Bradley Whitford. Bradley Whitford. Dang it, so close on that one. So close. Uh, <laughs> I'm really going to mess up a lot. <laughs> and of course, we have our, our dear, dear friend, Snuffy Walden. Yeah. He's back. He does the music yes, yes, for, does. for this. And and if a dramatic departure from any other music I've heard him do for any other show, I, I, don't I, I really like the music he wrote on wrote for this for this show. Yeah, this is uh, okay by me. Uh, you, you didn't mention one guy that I think is worth calling out is Stephen Weber, who plays Jack oh, Rudolph. Sure. Yeah, sleazy, uh, sleazy guy. I I really have a hard time taking him seriously in this role because he's always going to be Brian from Wings for me, <laughs> the goofy goofy screw up brother from the TV show Wings. Do they ever make a, a reference to that? Do I, I don't think? think they ever did, that Shoot. I remember. Dang. Uh, okay, yeah. So those are our main set of characters. Yeah. Am I yeah. fair in that? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I mentioned Amanda Peet is hot. Did I mention that? Yes, you did. Okay, we got that down. Have you ever been employed in a situation where you're close to the breaking point? You're ready to just blow up and... I'm thinking of like the West style explosion here, where very public, very ugly exit. Um, 
No, but I'm not his age. Okay. I've certainly had times when I've wanted to blow up, but I'm usually a little more... I don't know if pragmatic is the right word or not, but I usually can keep it together a lot better, and I am I'm more political about how I go about things. So I keep my mouth shut. Any argument that I want to have, I do it internally. <laughs> um, you know, I, I say all of the foul words that I want to say to certain people in my head. <laughs> um, no, I, I don't think so. Okay. No. I think I could. I think I could get to that point where I would just be so foaming and frothing with rage that I, you know, would potentially black out and have no idea what just happened. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's within me. Uh, you know, I it, please it's interesting. Help me. <laughs> <laughs> Are you on the verge of that now? <laughs> I can't see I? anything I but red right now. What's going on? <laughs> It's very interesting. I I know I have that same capacity within myself, but I've learned to control it incredibly tightly uh, through you know the experiences I had in my own childhood with a person who was filled with rage. Yeah, we just keep bottling it in. That's right, pushing it, it down. I get a little bit tighter every time. <laughs> <laughs> Super healthy. Okay, have you ever had a bad first day at work? As Jordan says. Oh, nothing bad is going to happen on my first day. And then Um, (laughs) the very worst thing happens. I I did have one job where I got the job because they were going through such a bad situation. And I happened to be there at the company at the time and they knew I had the skill set to help them out of the problem. They said, would you like a salaried position as a a systems administrator? So it it was a company that had been hosting my website. And I was there actually working on my own website, and they had, I think they had 150 to 200 websites offline, and nobody knew what to do. <laughs> they had no clue what they were doing. And they come running, and they're like, you want a job as our, as our systems administrator? I'm like, well, uh, what's going on? They're like, oh, our, our Unix server's down, and nobody knows how to administer one. You, would you like the job? And here's a salary offer. And I was like, you know, I think I can do a little bit better than that. Okay, here's the seller number. <laughs> I said, sure. Yeah, I'll take the job. <laughs> That's a good story. That's a really good story. And so that was a, that was an interesting first day, for sure, because it was, you know, I, I was hired specifically because they were in pretty dire straits. Okay, good times. Um, Have I mentioned that Amanda Pete is a very attractive woman? Yeah. Okay. We should mention that a few more times. <laughs> she She definitely comes across as the confident in control woman she knows what's going on in her world uh and i I think that that's good i like that Uh, her uh, line is hilarious when she says i don't know where my office is you know if she's (laughs) saying jack can we come talk in my office i don't know where my office is (laughs) you know she's gonna be delivering these lines pretty good too i think Uh, now by the way this is not the first time that uh um matthew perry perry and amanda pete have worked together the whole nine yards? whole nine yards. Okay. They were together. I, I didn't know if maybe you knew something earlier than that. And maybe the whole nine, the whole ten yards. I don't know. I think the whole ten yards was after Studio 60. Was it? I think so. I'm not sure. I don't know. No way to know. Uh, so I, I really like the introduction of the characters of Matt and Danny. Uh, you know, we have Danny there with Matt to get this award, this mm-hmm. writer's award. And 
That was funny. Matt is telling people, yeah, you know, I'm <laughs> I'm on medication. It's legitimate. I had back surgery, and uh, and and there's just there's this moment where Matt is up getting the award. He's like, you know what? Can we turn the follow spot over to Dan? He's never not been there for me. And moments earlier, someone had pulled Danny out to say, yeah. hey, Wes just went berserk on, on Studio 60 Live and pulled him out of the room. <laughs> he leaves him. <laughs> Classic. It was, it was perfectly timed. <laughs> just it's, it's a good joke. though they wrote it that way. You know, like, I'm just saying, you have to have a, a very good sense of humor to even come up with that joke. There was, there was, some, there was some groundwork laid to even make that joke funny in the first place. Oh, for sure. Um, the, so that one of the cast members—I can't remember the guy's name—he he was. It's the guy. It's the chubby guy. He was on Mr. Sunshine as well uh, with Matthew Perry and Allison Jenny. Um, anyway, he's he's talking to Harriet Hayes. He's making a joke about, uh, "Hey, didn't you say your prayer correctly? Why didn't God save the show tonight?" You know, and Simon. After everyone else has left, Simon just kind of stops and looks at the guy and says, Don't do that. And walks away. And the... I like that the kid said, Yes, sir. <laughs> well, I, and, and what I'm saying is, the the self-possession that Simon has to pull off that kind of power, you know, that he just projects this sense of power immediately. He goes from being this easygoing, kind of fun fun guy... To immediately being very serious and terrifying in a, in a way, I, I wish I had that in myself. I, you know, I can do that to my kids, but let's be honest, they're pretty small and they don't have a lot of world experience yet. When it comes to grown adults, I could never face someone down that way. I, I wish I had that kind of, I don't know if it's a confidence or, or what attribute it is, but I, I desire that. Hmm. <laughs> we'll have to set up some situations where you can practice that. <laughs> So you can see me snivel and, and huddle in a corner. <laughs> I just like the idea. Don't of, hurt me. <laughs> I like the idea of some role playing going on there. Uh, okay, Harriet uh, has an event where she goes on the Seven Hundred Club, and that's you know Matt doesn't really seem to like that, and he's questioning her about it. And so my question is. Could you go on a show you don't res- respect to sell product? Or, you know, to go on a show that you don't agree with the political stance of the people who are running it to sell product? Do you think you could do that? Because that think about that one. Because for, for her, that's, you know, she was saying, look, I, the, the thing I was trying to sell is a spiritual type of... They're the people who buy my records. Right. I... I I can get where she's saying, look, I'm not really there for the, the people who are hosting the show. I'm there for the people who are watching that show. I don't agree with those people, but, you know, I'm, I'm they have the audience I'm looking for. I, you know, I, I want to say no, but I think it would depend on what it is I'm trying to sell and how much I believe in it and how critical those people are to it. So, you know, I, I can't think in my mind of anything where I'm like, Yes, I am committed to that so strongly that I would go against my own moral compunction and appear on their show. But I don't know that I can say that definitively. Just I may just be having trouble thinking of something that means that much to me. Um, could you go on the Bill Maher show 
to push Trek West Five. <laughs> I'm willing to say I'm willing to to put that out there because I don't think you agree with Bill Maher. I don't, I don't agree with Bill. Probably Maher. think he is evil. I'd say evil, certainly misguided. I don't know. Bill Maher loves religion. <laughs> Clearly, his movie religi- religiosity, or I can't even say it. <laughs> uh, could I go on Bill Maher's show to promote Trek West Five? Yes, but I'd have to do it in character. <laughs> go on. What character? <laughs> I, I don't know. I'd, I'd, I'd probably, you know, please tell me one of the Three Stooges. <laughs> I'd probably pick, you know, crazy right-wing nut job. Maybe, maybe bring a handgun on and wave it around at the audience. Say, listen to Trek West 5. I dare y'all. Y'all with the liberals. Maybe wear a cowboy hat, you know. Cowboy hat. I'd be Yosemite Sam. That's who I'd go as. good uh okay so anyway they convince uh matt and danny to do the show and uh she does it by basically telling them you know what i am behind you guys to the point of you're gonna open next week with crazy christians you know i don't think that's how they can that's how she convinced them i think that's they were how, already in at that <clears throat> point i think that's how she convinced them that they that they should trust her and come on board and do it. I, I really do. I think that was the for me that was I think the linchpin for them. I think they'd already turned that corner. They were already accepting the job. Well, and either way, they're doing the job now. And they're gonna get to do crazy Christians. <laughs> I like the uh um Suzanne, the, the personal assistant. Who uh, Oh the one who's always got the headset on got the headset on yeah, Matt's I like, like her too. Do I know you? She's like, Yeah I'm Suzanne. I worked here when you were here a couple of years ago. Are you coming to save us? <laughs> I like that too. Oh, that was really funny. Uh, I don't have anything more to mention about that. I, the I do. Um, I don't know if you'd be willing to talk about this or not, though. I have never had the occasion to work with someone that I have romantic feelings for. I've never had the slightest interest in dating any of my coworkers in any job I've ever had. I assumed that this would come up eventually. Um, so I'm thinking of you know, Matt and, and Harriet here. I, I have been able to put my feelings for you aside to be able to do this <laughs> podcast. And though it pains me, uh, I can fight through I, I said the romantic angst. feelings, dude. Don't go there. <laughs> oh, did I just reveal something about myself? <laughs> You know, I, I uh, made the mistake a while ago, long time ago, probably about 10 years ago, of trying to date somebody I worked with. And I realized after that, nothing bad happened, but it was just sort of like awkward and because I was stupid. Okay. Well, I still am, but at least I'm smarter about certain things. I realized I never, ever want to be in a position like that again. I will not date people that I work with. Okay, that's different than what I'm asking. No, it's not. It's it the is. same. Because I don't allow myself to get into that position. Okay. Okay. In order to be able to date someone, you would probably have feelings for them. So I crush anything that would... Be I thought you were addressing the dating, not addressing the feelings. Mm-mm. Okay. 
I would crush it all. Good. Good for you. Don't cry out loud, Pete. <laughs> Don't cry out loud. Just hold it inside. <laughs> and learn how to hide your feelings. <laughs> okay. Uh, that it? Um... I, I love the the little piece between Danny and Matt where they're talking about Danny having done coke even though he's you know he'd been in AA and things he's had some problems with this sober for eight years and uh, you know Matt wants he's like you know how did it happen you know is it still going on are you back in AA and then Matt's little line of which Every time I watch this particular line, I watch this particular exchange, I always think of you and I in Tricklist 5, where Matt Albee says, it's going to be our show now, and only one of us can screw up at a time. <laughs> and I think we both know that most of the time it's going to be me. <laughs> oh, that's funny. <laughs> that, that, that's all I had. Okay, that's good. Uh, let's go to a le- uh, listener email. Bob uh, sent in, and he's the only one that actually had comments about the episodes, specifically this week. And I realized I screwed up on something. I didn't tell everybody how many episodes we were doing. I just assumed we would all know to do four. So anyway, Bob, I'm sorry. Uh, he only sent in uh, comments for the first two. So when you assume things, yep. it, it makes you look one way, and it doesn't do me any favors either. Correct. <laughs> he says, hi, guys. Hope all is well. I hope that people don't judge this show too harshly. It does have some great parts to it. I'm not sure how many episodes you were covering this week, so I thought I would just amalgamate all my thoughts about the first two into one big blob. What is it with all the spoilers in this email? (laughs) Seriously, there was no need for the whole pregnancy spoiler. Well, now it's a spoiler. <laughs> it is now, yeah. Way to go, Bob. They had no idea, It Bob. was a hypothetical question. Read the email again. <laughs> it could have just as easily been, you know, talking about the turkey, you know? Eh, no. Yeah, it was... I was I was being goofy, so I guess <laughs> it's my fault. Uh, he continues, I watched Studio 60 before The West Wing. I had I have never really watched The West Wing. I think I was too young and immature and was really watching Studio 60 on the strength of Matthew Perry being in it. Chandler was always my favorite character in Friends, so that was my pull. At this point, I didn't even know who Aaron Sorkin was, but my how that has to, uh, how that was about to change. This show has a lot of dramatic and technical similarities to The West Wing, but I think that is where the similarity ends. I find this to be more of a buddy show than The West Wing, which was more focused on a single person, President Bartlett. I feel that Studio 60 has more chemistry between the leads than The West Wing, especially the main three of Perry, Pete, and Whitford. Of course, the great dialogue from Sorkin helps. The whole aspect of a show being within a show is pretty fun to watch. It will be interesting to see what Sorkin has up his sleeve and what he borrows from Studio 60 in his upcoming show set behind the scenes of a news and current events show. Uh, I heard about that, by the way, and I'm super excited. When's that supposed to come out? And who's what? Uh... I think it's going to be on HBO. Oh, serious? I, I, don't quote me on that. Well, I can understand him wanting to get away from the West Wing, so... 
Nope, NBC. <laughs> really meant CNSA NBC there. My, my bad, everyone. Pilot. I felt that the pilot was the best pilot since, dare I say it, the West Wing. It was pithy, hilarious, and smart. The parallels regarding the Christian right in the pilot of both shows is surely not a coincidence. It does make Sorkin look like a one-trick pony, though. <laughs> it manages to introduce characters at the right pace, and considering the ensemble nature of the show, manages to show the individual quirks of each character very well. I think Steven Weber does a great ja job as Jack Rudolph, a character which grew on me as the season progressed. Now, I, I just want to interject. I, I don't think you can totally blame Sorkin for that. As a member of the Christian right, I'm going to go ahead and say we're pretty easy to make fun of. <laughs> we make it easy. <laughs> I made the comment earlier tonight that sometimes I think the best thing I could ever do for the Republican Party is to go out and be a Democrat, register as a Democrat, and then just do the silliest things that I can come up with and say, yes, I'm doing all of this in the name of the Democratic Party. Aren't we all great Democrats? <laughs> That's a pretty strong commitment to a bit, man. <laughs> really strong. Uh, okay. I only did TV ratings. Were we going to rate on some other axis? Science fiction. <laughs> I almost put a science fiction in. I'm going to put a science fiction in. I thought, no. No, Pete will just groan and roll his eyes. <laughs> You're right. I would have. Uh, no, we for West Wing, we just did television. Okay. So we don't, we don't need to do that. Me first. You first. Me first. I'm going to say television eight. I actually... Solid. Went, I went to a nine. Uh... I, you know, I give it a, a little bit of a bump here because being a pilot, for it to be that strong of an episode as a pilot, is absolutely astounding. Moving on to our next episode, episode two. The Cold Open. The Cold Open. I didn't write down any of the names of these episodes. <laughs> I can help you with that. Okay. Between recordings here. Seriously, I just wrote episode one, episode two, episode three, and episode four. Crap. <laughs> Read the damn summary. <laughs> oh, man. While Matt and Danny try to get their heads around the chaos boiling inside Studio 60, Jordan McDeer encourages them to take risks. Ah. So this starts off with this press conference that Jordan McDeer is giving uh, where she... Sets set the bar way yes. too bloody high? Yeah. Yeah, that's dumb. I, You know, I, I, I remember very early in my career as a software developer... Having a, a mentor tell me, under promise, over deliver. That is the key to success. <laughs> yeah, I, I really hate that. I hate the way it comes out, but it's absolutely <laughs> correct. It's absolutely, I, I have, in my job, I have to manage people's expectations all the time. So I usually buffer things in there and say, I don't know if we can get that. We'll work hard for it. And then when we, deliver it two days early it's like oh man you guys came through that's awesome yeah and that really is the secret of success i, I think back to scotty and laforge and <laughs> wait you don't actually tell them the truth <laughs> on how long things take uh okay um but danny i love danny's moral integrity here he hasn't he always uh, made great choices 
But when the opportunity comes up, like, well, you know, we're just going to kind of sweep this under the rug. We, we, we're doing the, you know, we're interested in coming back because we both grew up here. And Danny says, no, cut the crap. <laughs> I was caught with cocaine in my system and I can't make the movie that you're all talking about. <laughs> I, I like that he, and. There's an aspect to that that's accurate. Get out in front of the yes, story. Yeah. Be the one who puts it out. Let it happen, and then it'll end. It'll, it'll be go awkward away. And painful. Yeah, and you don't look like you were trying to hide it, and then it doesn't become a scandal later on when you're already ensconced in there, and people are saying, "Oh, so you really are just doing this because that's all you had?" Yeah. No, come out, do it first, and and you control the story, <laughs> I, which is what we learned from West Wing. I love Jordan McDear's response. He's like, "So you know, Jordan, did you know about this? Hair? I can't remember. I was high at the time." <laughs> <laughs> and like the just the dead silence as everybody gets really awkward. <laughs> and Danny's looking over like, really? Really? <laughs> you thought now was the time for that joke? <laughs> oh yeah. Uh okay. Uh so they go in and they are in Wes's office and they you know, they decide, okay, Matt, you're gonna be here. Um and Matt notices the clock up on the wall and he's like no wonder he went crazy because <laughs> yes. it's got a clock that's counting down. Would you want a clock over your desk showing when your deadline is due? No. I don't think I'd want it either. Uh, my, my problem would be I would tend to leave things until way too late. <laughs> if I knew, like if I ever stopped to think about how much time I have, I'd put things off. But if I always leave myself kind of you know, vague about when, you know, what is my actual deadline on this thing, then I feel pressure to finish it now and I generally get things done faster as a result. Yeah. It's not a, it's not a great personal attribute, but. <laughs> you know, what, what bugs me is in our industry, we have to meet deadlines from time to time, is when you then all of a sudden have the emergency competing deadline. You have X amount of developers or people that can fulfill said task and you have two tasks that need to be fulfilled. And it's always the, okay, well, which one should we do first? Yeah. And it's never fair on the guy who has to actually do the work to then put all of the responsibility on him. And I see it a lot in my industry, in my job, where a lot of it gets put down as, okay, why, why didn't you get this done? It's like, seriously? There's no possible way I could have gotten both things done by that deadline. Pick one, and then the other one that we're not picking we're changing the deadline on that to be able to handle it. I, I wish people would <laughs> respect that a little bit more. You know, I, I don't remember if I've talked about this on the podcast before, but my my new boss, uh, the, he uses a very interesting system called Kanban, and it's based out of a uh, Japanese manufacturing technique. And the principle is there's there's a queue of work that needs to be done, and there are no commitments on any of that work at all. And as I have capacity, I take the next thing in the queue and I work on it. And I, I move it from, there's a backlog. I take it from the backlog, I put it into my currently doing pile. And when it's done, I move it over into my done pile. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I know that it wouldn't necessarily work in your industry. Yeah, I, I know that, that it probably wouldn't. And here's why I don't necessarily love the idea. By the way, I don't really know that much about it. I, I, I'm certainly no... Kanban expert or Cumberbun expert. Um, what about cucumbers? Oh, yeah. I'll take a pickle any day. <laughs> oh, pickles are good. Like pickled asparagus. 
You ever had those before? I don't think I've had pickled asparagus. Oh, man, they're tasty. I like pickled carrots. Pickled carrots are good. Not a fan of that. No. There's a sweetness that comes off of those carrots that I do not like. Okay. No, not at all. I have some pickled asparagus. No, I can maybe try some. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Pickled jalapenos. No, too no? hot. Oh, too hot. Pepperoncinis. That's about as hot as I get. <laughs> I'm, I'm a wuss. I admit it. What were we talking about? <laughs> the Kanban boards. <laughs> I'm an expert on Kanban boards. And it's a bad idea because I don't think you should ever put the developers in charge of letting them choose what they work on. I get why you would do it. Let them focus on the thing that they're really good at. They can pick best based on the, everything that's in there. I think the supervisor should know the best of what's happening and he should assign it out based on whatever some deadline is. Just my opinion. Just my opinion. I understand. Don't shoot me I'm down. Not, don't I'm haterate not. on me. <laughs> I might, I might haterate. I'm not sure what that means. Haterade. So I'm not going to promise It's like that. Gatorade, but with hate. <laughs> haterade. <laughs> You've never heard that term I before? I never have. Oh, wow. Awesome. I'm glad that I was... Is something I can go buy? <laughs> can sure. I go to the convenience store, buy a bottle of haterade? <laughs> it only comes in a six pack. Okay. Um, it works on my team. Because the the people that are on my team, our boss knows, we all have roughly the same degree of skill in different fields of endeavor. And we're all very professional and, and can be trusted to work on our own. We don't have yeah. to have someone... You're self-motivated type yes. people. Yeah. I mean, he, he specifically picked a team of people. He went around the company and said, hey, you, have you guys heard of anyone in this company who is well-known for just clearing the crap out of the way and getting things done, regardless of what else happens. And those are the people that he interviewed for the team that he was building and, and selected those people and implemented this technique as a result. I don't think it would necessarily work in every team. And I don't think it would work where you have a paying customer, because I don't, I don't have one of those. I have a customer, but they're an internal department. You have a paying customer that expects things delivered by a certain time. You, you can't be quite as, as flexible with the dates as we are. True that. Double true. Okay. Uh, by the way, uh, I wrote down reward excellence. I'm not sure why I felt the need to mention that, but uh, if anybody's on the fence about this, <laughs> go ahead. Reward the excellence. You, 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 don't, you don't think you should punish the excellent and, <laughs> and reward the mediocre? <laughs> it does have a certain poetic nature to it. You know, you, you, you cut the ends off of the... The bell curve, right? <laughs> Push everyone to the middle. <laughs> All right. So Genie uh, makes the incredibly stupid, 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 stupid comment. Wait. I think I know why you wrote reward excellence. Because they're charging a coward fee. Is that related? Does that ring a bell? No. Okay. Genie makes a stupid comment. Yeah, so she knows the history behind Matt and uh, Harriet. And she just is freely saying, Oh, yeah, I was hanging out with him. I was with him at breakfast this morning. Hint, hint. See, and this is so stupid. I agree. What woman would do that? On the other hand, I She's also She's supposed think to be Harriet's friend. There's a very easy way to diffuse that. You say, yeah, I was over at his house and had breakfast this morning. Before we came to work. I dropped by his house. Everyone knew he had back surgery. Well, that's not what she did. That's not what she did. But I'm saying, saying it's ridiculous to me that a professional actress, a professional liar, could not come up with something on the spot 
to get out of that situation. Well, as we've pointed out before, or as I should say she's pointed out, she doesn't really have the acting chops. She's got the body. <laughs> Harriet's the one who's got the acting ability. Okay, you're right. That, 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 that was brought up. And my, what a body genie does have. A fine body uh, of work. Okay. Uh, it's working. All right. Working for this fella. I just want to mention boobs. That's all I'm going to say. Okay. That's, I think that's more than she wasn't dressed up as a Klingon, to be sure, <laughs> but still, there was enough of the uh, Klingon-esque nature of what I like about those two, <laughs> Lursa and Bator. Yeah, those two. <laughs> I don't know what you could possibly be thinking about anything else. Um, okay, uh, funny line. Matt uh, gets after the writing staff for being unprofessional, Yeah, and then has the... <laughs> The barge in by Harriet, and she berates him, and he says, and all of that will begin in a few minutes. <laughs> I wanted to say that, that something happened like that on the West Wing, didn't it? I don't remember that. It's not It's not close enough for me to be able to trigger it in my memory right now. It's just sort of, oh, oh, Josh Lyman is screaming at Joey Lucas. Hey, crazy lady, there's no way you're getting to see the president today. Oh, hello, Mr. President. <laughs> yeah, I guess it was, maybe I was thinking that was what it was. Anyway, it felt West Wing-ish, or I should say Sorkin-ish. Is that the one where he's wearing the, uh... Yes, the Gordon's Fisherman. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't remember the name of it. Uh, okay, so... Once again, we have in this episode, uh, we're getting pushed around by the marketers and the advertisers. Yes. You know, we do have to play a subtle uh, little back and forth. You know, we have to pander a bit to the people who do are we? giving us the money to put the show on. I think kind of we do. I think Netflix is about to test the waters of that theory. Uh, Netflix is is doing original episodes of the... In my opinion, super awesome TV show Arrested Development. They are they are sponsoring them specifically for streaming their streaming customers. You mentioned that I hadn't heard anything about it yet, so I'm not sure I'm ready to believe you yet. They're supposed to start, be available for streaming in 2013. I can send you the news articles if you'd like. I expect you to have that posted up on this blog. Okay, I can do that. Better. Anyway, so uh, I think with uh, with this one here, they were worried about losing Terre Haute. Terre Haute, yeah. Some of their their affiliates who were going to say, "I'm not going to play this because it's too immoral. It's too bad." Um, which I suppose they've got the right to do if they're the affiliates. They, yep. you know, it's what happens. But they could potentially lose the people who advertise, which is where they get their funding. Right. And if they have no advertisers. They're off the air. They're done. They they they're not going to get the bills paid. Uh, let's see here, uh, and that's where Jordan McDear mentions, you know, any advertiser who pulls out can buy back their time slot when we're awesome, at one hundred twenty five percent. We're going to be the first network to institute a coward fee. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty. Funny. I like the idea of a coward fee. Yeah, you know, I, I'd like to charge people for being cowards. Can we get an apathy fee, too? <laughs> oh Every time you're apathetic, you have to pay the people who are, are passionate about the issue a fee of some sort. What if you're not passionate about that issue? Then you pay the fee. 
So engage or pay the fee. Okay. <laughs> By that rule, you could potentially just end up uh, giving a bunch of money to Democrats, or the worst thing I can think of right now, Nambla. <laughs> I don't know what Nambla is. Really? Yeah. You've never heard of Nambla. You've never heard someone it make d- fun of them. It, I'm not, not. Okay, it's truly disturbing. But it's so ridiculous that everybody makes fun of these nut jobs. Okay. North American Man Boy Love Association. Yeah. So Pedophiles. It's... You've never heard of Nambla? I've never heard of Nambla. Oh my gosh! In all of the filth that you have ever watched, <laughs> you have never heard of anyone I, making fun of Nambla? I stay away from that particular <laughs> branch of filth. <laughs> you need to start watching... Uh, S- uh, um, uh, Law and Order SVU. Oh, yeah? I think I'm sure they cover it quite a bit on that one. Wow. I That I'm truly surprised that you have not heard of them before. But see, I would say, in that instance, I'm not apathetic about it. <laughs> I am strongly <laughs> against the principle. <laughs> Up until about five minutes ago, you weren't. I was ignorant. <laughs> apathetic and ignorant are not the same thing. <laughs> well, can we start charging an ignorance fee then? You can try. <laughs> I'll try to charge the apathy fee. You try to charge the ignorance fee. Well, Aaron's going to have to be paying both of us at some point, I think. And I feel bad because on, on multiple occasions he's yeah. both ignorant, and then once he hears about it, he remains apathetic. <laughs> oh man! Well, that was fun. But I can't believe we brought up Nambla on here. <laughs> Golly, I, I can't you... believe such an organization is allowed to exist. Oh well, I. I... I don't think people are saying, "Hey, let's protect them." They're not. There's not like a, a, a membership card that you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when, when you're voting, uh, you, you just vote what party you are, and there's a Nambla party. <laughs> God, I can't believe I'm doing Nambla. more Nambla jokes. <laughs> oh, candidate this year. <laughs> <laughs> I could just hear everybody saying, "Yep, done with this podcast." <laughs> You hear the off buttons going down. Oh, man. I just want to apologize to everyone now. Okay, moving on. You know, they, uh, Jordan McDeer and Jack Rudolph both are quoting this movie, I Hate Spunk. I don't know what it is. Okay. I, I felt no like idea. I should know what it was, but I couldn't. It's hard to Google for I Hate Spunk and come up with something that's not incredibly disturbing. Yeah, yeah. Let's just uh, move on from that. So here is uh, there. When did we start thinking that TV executives or etc. the like were supposed to be God fearing, wholesome people? Because a, a lot of this, the argument that we hear on this particular episode is revolving the look. This is Middle America. This is the Midwest. These are the wholesome, good people. And they don't like what we're putting out there as though somehow they're ashamed or surprised that Hollywood would potentially put out something that's, well, not in favor of God at some point. And it just seems to me like we're going towards this very polarized area that I don't think really exists. Or at least if it does, why are we so stupid to continue to think that Hollywood might actually put out something that we find... Something wholesome? Yeah, morally uh, okay or good. Wholesome. Yeah. Um, I think the polarization is real. I really do. 
uh, why do we continue to consume the entertainment when we know it's not good for us? Why, why do we eat junk food when we know it's going to make us fat? I don't know, fatty. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> I tried to offer you some dried plums tonight, a.k.a. prunes, everyone, and you wouldn't take them. Nature's candy right there, and you wouldn't have any of it. <laughs> fatty McFat Fats. I just made that up right there. Yep. Good job. <laughs> I, you know, I, I I don't know if there's a good answer to the question. Um, it just seems odd that we have this idea that, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm so outraged that I can't believe they would put that on television. Oh, I cannot believe this. Really? I'm surprised that they're not doing it more often. I'm, I'm surprised they're not more afraid of the FCC than they are. Free speech? Apparently that's the cover-all. Yeah. Hey, this is this is protected speech. I should be able to say this. Uh, I think it's okay, yes, but I just this, this idea that we somehow look at Hollywood and assume that they, you know, are were surprised when they put out the disparaging filth. Yeah, I guess I don't know. They have a cast prayer before they start the episode. Yeah, I, 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 I was surprised by that. Um, I'm not. Uh, you know, we always did them. Even when I was doing theater, for the short period of time that I did theater professionally, uh, they, there were there was always a contingent of people who... It, it, it's, it's more superstition and ritual than it is necessarily faith for some people. Just Probably. Like, just like wearing their lucky socks. They say a cast prayer before the, the show, just in case there is, you know, a guy up there listening... And for some people, there's there's some there's some real honest faith behind it. Sure, and I think Harriet's probably one of those people that genuinely is a believer. Yes. My question is, what do the non Christians in the circle think about this particular prayer? This is Hollywood here. I'm willing to bet that there's somebody there, not Christian. Yeah. Who's an atheist? So I, I actually have been in a cast prayer where it was, I want to say. Can't remember. Is Baha'i a, a, a faith? Is that a thing? Or am I making that up? Could be. I, I want to say it's Baha'i, but I might be conflating that with some fantasy. We need Brainy Smurf. Yeah, we do to let us know about that. Anyway, um, it was it was very different than what you and I would consider a traditional prayer, and it was a little awkward, a little weird. I wasn't quite sure. You know, uh, am I okay with this? <laughs> Were they spooning you at the no, time? No, or? it was just, you know, the the manner of speech and, and things like that that, I, oh, that I'm I accustomed see. to were not employed. It was more casual, like a conversation. Like, a, like a pep talk kind of thing? Yeah, a little bit. Or, <laughs> But was it addressed to somebody specifically? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, and so it was, it was a little weird for me. And I was like, uh, okay, you know, whatever. We, we all do whatever, in our hearts we were doing what we thought, in their heart they were doing what they thought when we were saying our kind of prayer. So what we've just heard here is that Joey is okay with praying towards pagan gods. <laughs> Heathen. I didn't say I'm okay with me praying to them. You were a part of it, you were standing in the circle, I you said were I had swaying a different prayer. back and forth <laughs> with them, you were feeling the movement. 
I was singing the telepath hymn. (laughs) (laughs) Why would we bring this back? We are done with Babylon 5. We will not go back to that. I will not let this happen. Not on my watch. (laughs) Okay. um, So apparently Sorkin loves Gilbert and Sullivan. Yeah. Because, well, I... I'd like to go back sometime and and rewatch his uh, his other television show, which was the West Wing. Not uh, the West Wing. Sports Night. Sports Night, because that's one I haven't seen. I've never seen it, um, and I'm curious to see if Gilbert and Sullivan show up. In that. You know, I, I I really want to watch Sports Night because for the longest time, I had Sports Night and Arliss confused. Uh, what is that guy's name? Arliss. Yes. So. There was a TV show called Arliss that was about a uh, a sports agent, and the main character was portrayed by uh, I don't know. Anyway, the the guy that was in it made some really ugly comments once on on an interview or something about people who had faith in God and things like that, and so I was like, oh, I never want anything to do with that guy. He was just uh, uh, as much of a bigot about people who have faith as some people who have faith have been about those who don't, you know. And so I had these two shows in my mind. I thought they were the same show. And then it was in talking to our friend Brandon where he's like, no, you've got that confused with with this other show over here. So, uh, yeah, I'd like to watch Sports Night sometime. All right. Maybe we can do it as a Trek West 5 at some point. Maybe. Okay, uh, so they do the, the musical intro. I thought it was pretty good. Yeah. I enjoyed it. I thought it was funny. Um, here's the thing. I want to see a whole show. Yes. I want to see... I, I was saving this conversation, but here, here to me is, is the, the killer. NBC has the writing staff. They have the actors. They have the set. They have all this stuff put together... Why not get a twofer out of this? Why not have two shows back to back? You show Studio Sixty on the Sunset Strip, and then you show Live at Studio City or whatever the whatever the uh... Saturday Night Live. No, 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 no. What's what is it? Is it stu- It's not Studio Sixty on the Sunset Strip that Herb says, is it? Is that what yeah, he says? Okay. It is. Well, I, I don't know what you call the second show, but immediately after you air the behind-the-scenes show, then we actually get to sit and watch the sketch comedy show. I don't yeah. know why you don't do that. It just seems like a no-brainer. Yeah, because in uh, episode four tonight, that's what they do. They show, like, little bits of yes. every single thing. And so they had to have at least written a whole bunch of crap for all of that. <laughs> and that seems like a lot of work. That just, oh, can't we see the whole thing, please? Yeah. I'm with you 100%. Okay. Um, I, I like uh, when Matt and Harriet have this conversation. She says, you know... When I asked for the butter, I got the laugh. But later when I tried it again, it didn't get a laugh. What's the difference? He says, well, the second time you asked for the laugh. And what did I do the first time? You asked for the butter. I really want to know what was going on in that skit, first of all. <laughs> that made asking for butter such a funny thing. <laughs> but uh, You just don't get humor, Joe. I don't. That's true. I'm not going to deny that. Uh, my, my idea of, of the pinnacle of, of comedic perfection is who's on first, so... Um, but that, that idea of having people who 
you know and trust and, and they know you so well that you could have, it's almost like a, a, sh a verbal shorthand between them, these conversations that they have, where we as the audience are like, we have to work to understand the conversation because he's implying so much and he's leaving so much actually unwritten in the script. And this is a great example of that. I, I wish I knew my job as well as Matt Albee does to be able to understand that nuance so well. Yeah, I, I had the... He can pin, pick that out. I, I had the note under the focus group that I wish I did anything in my life as well as these two guys do Studio 60. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just the, the fact he knows his craft. He can see what's going on and is able to give the answer to the person who needs it. Now, the other side of it is I wish I worked with a bunch of people who would come up to me and say, hey, what did I do wrong that time? <laughs> I don't really get that a whole lot. I'll start doing that between recordings here. <laughs> okay. I actually have some notes we can go through. Um, last thing I had here for this episode was, I don't know if you want to talk about it, but what, what do you think God's sense of humor is like? You think he has a sense of humor? I know people who yeah. insist that he doesn't ever laugh. That he's a very serious and there's no there's no laughter at all. Here's the problem that I have, and here's why I hesitate to say fully and completely yes. I mean, aside from the joke that everybody likes, yeah, of course God's got a sense of humor. He he made me, didn't he? <laughs> I think that the problem with laughter is a lot of it is focused on the negative of what happens. We are making fun of somebody. Okay. At, sometimes at their expense, sometimes it's okay. Um, you know, it, it's, it's oftentimes at our screw-ups. And I don't think that God wants to focus on our screw-ups hmm. that much. As much as people like to paint God as this you know, a person who's like, oh, you did something wrong, I will smite you. I don't think of God like that as much as other people may do from time to time. I think he's genuinely interested and concerned about what's going on in my life and making sure I'm doing good and right and proper things. Uh, and so I don't think he's sitting back and saying, hey, hey, Angel Gabriel, you're not going to believe look what this idiot did down here today. <laughs> Now, granted, if he did, I would be okay with it, but that's okay. I laugh at myself all the time. Sure. I mean, that's one of the great things. I I, I love myself because of the, the comedy that I offer myself. So You also offer me great comedy. Just in case <laughs> screw you. <laughs> but do, do you understand the point that I'm trying to yes. make? That humor oftentimes gets twisted to the point that you know it just becomes mean-spirited. Yeah. And I, I definitely don't think that that's an area that God goes into. And I don't know humor well enough to be able to draw the distinction between, okay, we're, we're making fun of someone and no, we're making, you know, we're, we're having a laugh at, at something else. I'm not good enough to be able to, to okay. make that distinction. Okay. Good you question, know, though. Good question. Yeah, you reminded me of uh, in Strange in a Strange Line by Robert Heinlein. Uh, he makes the comment, I don't know that I totally believe this, but... It's often the case. He says, when we laugh, it's because someone is hurting. And yeah. That, and, it's our, and that is our way of reacting to someone else's pain. And, and I actually know a person who 
had that as an uncontrollable response. Anytime there was awkwardness of any kind in the situation, <laughs> he would go into fits of uncontrollable giggling. And, and the worst situation was when we had to go tell one of our mutual friends, we were out riding our bikes, and we see th- this girl, Becky, her, her dog is out in this field chasing this man's cows around. The man pulls up in his truck, pulls out his gun, Bam! Dog's dead. <laughs> Kills the dog. By the way, I'm not the guy he's, that Joey's talking about that just control uncontrollably giggles. I just happen to find this funny right now. And and we're like, what did you just do? And he's like, hey, dog was chasing my cows. Dog's dead. Drives off. I'm like, well, we have to go tell Becky. We, we saw this happen. And so my buddy Mike and I, we go over and we go to see our friend Becky. And... I'm sitting there as serious as I can trying to tell this girl who loved her dog. You know, you know, Mr. So-and-so shot your dog. And here's Mike next to me. <laughs> and she's like, Joey, this isn't funny. I'm like, no, please don't pay attention to him. I'm trying to be serious here. Your dog is dead. And it took a good five minutes to get across I'm saying, and he's telling her, no, 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 really, <laughs> your dog's dead. <laughs> and, and, you know, and I was like, oh, okay, I never want you with me again when I have to deliver bad news, because that was way too hard. Uh, I like the, the best part about that story is that you felt the need to change the, uh, the name of the man who shot the dog to protect his identity. <laughs> You didn't want to let that get out so that people would, you know, look I can't even actually remember what his last name oh, was. Oh, dang it. My way was better. Okay, anything else? Nope, I'm good. Okay, let's go to Bob's email. He says, the cold open. If the pilot set up Studio 60 as a vehicle, then I would have to say that the cold open set the whole show within a show concept. The Gilbert and Sullivan references aside, I doubt I will ever get the chance to truly see how the the behind-the-scenes operations in real life, which is why I appreciate this episode. I am sure, like the West Wing, many aspects are highly uh, dramatized, but I would like to think this is based on some sort of reality. The comparison with 30 Rock for me is an interesting one. I think Studio 60 has a lot more social commentary, as we will see later on. Whereas 30 Rock, to me, from the episodes I've seen, is more of an out-and-out comedy. Yes. Yes. It is. Absolutely. And uh, funny comedy. I enjoy it. I think this is funnier. (laughs) Okay. Uh, For me, I really love the Timothy Busfield's character as the director. I always felt that Danny from the West Wing had more charm in his beard than Rob Lowe. Okay, that may be going too far, but Cal Shanley is a wonderful character full of heart and humor. By the way, he spelled humor with a U. That's the correct way to spell it. The cold open itself is fun to watch repeatedly as the song is brilliantly funny and Matt and Danny manage to show their discomfort as it is performed in front of an audience. My closing thoughts are that the show had a really strong start, establishing characters and highlighting that the real enemy in the show is the different obstacles and circumstances that the cast have to overcome, rather than having enemies be a set of Republicans 
for aliens. <laughs> On a side note, wait, wouldn't it be awesome if there were, were Republican aliens? It would be. I, I'd be okay with that. That would make a cool show. Republican aliens doing sketch comedy. <laughs> <laughs> On a side note, I have been meaning to check out Sports Night, the other part of the Sorkin television tril- uh, televisual trilogy. Has anyone watched it, and is it worth buying? That's all for the two episodes. Have a great week, Bob. Um, yeah, that's a good question. If anybody out there has seen uh, Sports Night, please let us know if it is worth watching. Yeah. We'd love to hear that. Okay, uh, Joey, what say you? Uh, for television, I'm going to give this a 7. I, I think it was a strong episode. Uh you know, it, it comes down a little bit off of how tight the, that first pilot was. There, there were just there were no misses, in my opinion, in, in that first. Well, very few misses. Uh, again, I just have a hard time with Jack Rudolph. I can't take that man seriously. Um, but and and I again, I love Gilbert and Sullivan. I enjoyed. I am the mo- very model of a modern major general. I think you know, Pete, that I have once written my own set of lyrics. To the tune of, I am the very model of a modern major general. And it is my promise to all of you out there that we will never let that come on the air. Oh, I can violate that promise so easily and you <laughs> never know. You get points for having used the word violate there. <laughs> we haven't heard that one for a while. Uh, you know, I, I give this a seven as well. I, I think that it is good, but it does come down a little bit from the pilot, which now that we think about it, Shouldn't the pilot be the thing that is written the very best? You'd think so. It has all the prep work, right? It's the thing you're it selling It should be on. the thing that you have sculpted and shaped into this beautiful masterpiece. It's setting the tone for the whole series. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, anyway, seven. Moving on to our next episode, The Focus Group. The network orders focus group testing, and the cast and crew spend a lot of time stressing about the numbers. The skeletons in Jordan's closet begin to come to the forefront threatening to disrupt her new equilibrium. It sucks that your personal life gets dragged into your work life, doesn't it? Yeah, you know, the whole idea of life in the public square and how we treat the people who live there, there's a fundamental breakdown there of what's okay. what's Not what's okay, but what's appropriate. All right. You know, I have certainly made some pretty dumb decisions in my life I wouldn't want those hauled up in front of everyone and I, I, I try not to judge someone like let's say George Clooney for the boneheaded things that he does and I don't understand that there's, a, there's a, a segment of our culture that lives and thrills at the idea of seeing someone like an actor or a director or a big business tycoon torn down from the heights yeah. because of some trivial mistake, commonly made mistake. Now, I, I don't want to trivialize drunk driving. I'm not, I, I don't want to come across like that. But she, the court at the time clearly felt that it was not a serious enough infringement to be made part of her permanent record. We should have some respect for that as a society and say, well, you know, it, this guy is an elected judge in whatever you know area he lives in. If he felt like it wasn't worth 
putting on her permanent record, maybe we should all just move on. I, I think what's done here to Jordan McDeer is pretty despicable. I would agree with that. I would definitely agree. But I, I think that if you're within the public spotlight, you're going to have to get used to the yes. fact that it's going to happen, number one. I wouldn't want to be a part of it, meaning I wouldn't want people shining the light in on my life. And I don't think I'd want to be the person shining the light in on somebody else's life as though I had some reason to be there. But there is one particular group of people that I would say that I think their personal life has some bearing in, or I should say I should be able to know a little bit more about their personal life. And then that, that's a politician. Okay. I definitely think that there are aspects of their personal life that have bearing on what they do. Yes, very much so. Now, I'm not saying I want to get in there and start waggling my finger at them and saying, shame on you for doing those stupid things when you were in your 30s. I'm not interested in that. What I am interested in is knowing the types of decisions they make and the reasons for which they make those decisions. Okay. Because that has a huge impact on what they're going to do in a governing body. Sure. I, I, and I would agree with everything you said there. Uh, the, the distinction I want to make here is I'm not saying we shouldn't have the information. I'm not saying we should shut down the free press or anything like that. I would like to see the tabloids shut down. Because honestly, I don't give a rat's patoot about actors. I, I would like to see the tabloids shut down. But shut down because there's no longer a demand for their product. Agreed. Not because there's some kind of legislature or anything. I, I want to see it shut down because I want I us agree. as humanity I to agree move with past you. this interest. I think you finally come on board with what I've been saying this whole time. <laughs> and I welcome you aboard. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, you know, and the... What is the... By the way, why are you going after George Clooney? He's like one of the people who do the least amount of dumb things around. Didn't he just do something, though? He yeah. He just did something, like, the other day. Yeah, he stood oh, up Oh, it was the for, Sudanese thing. He stood up for Sudan. Right. People. What, I, what I'm saying is, he's, he, like, he's being mocked in the media, in some, in some media outlets. He's being made fun of. Is he? Yeah. Uh, the, the, the story that I read about it, it was very much making fun of him. Like, look how dumb George Clooney is for... Going out and doing this thing. You were watching Fox again, weren't you? You were watching Fox. Look, admit it. There's a TV. Fox and Friends is not news. There's a, there, there's a TV at work. I don't choose what channel is on. Oh, I walk past it. Gosh. By the way, uh, uh, just as a, as a brief, very bizarre tangent. <laughs> I walked past the television today in, in the cafeteria, and it was on to Fox News, and they were talking about tornadoes rip through homes in Missouri. And for some, you know, I don't know if you've ever had this where your your brain just processes, a, it just gets a wire crossed. And I reread that sentence several times. And every time I read it, I read the word torpedo <laughs> instead of tornado. And I could not figure out, what is a torpedo doing in Kansas? It's landlocked. <laughs> what, what was the torpedo doing out there first? And second of all, like, did it get dropped? <laughs> was somebody like literally firing torpedoes into people's homes? I, I could not just, you know, and, and I, I'm serious. I, I probably read this sentence like five times before I finally 
Wait, that says tornado, not torpedo. Why was I reading the word torpedo? It just said <laughs> some wire had gotten crossed in my brain. Oh man. I okay. You 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 want to say that Fox is not news? I, I'm I'm fine with that. I will say there are some people in the media <laughs> who are, you know, they're, they're mocking. I I'm just saying it, we we should get away from saying, oh, you know, this this should be something that we all cheer about this person being made out to be foolish. Or being made out to be a bad person. Hey, you know what? We all make mistakes. Maybe we can look at things that they have. If there's a pattern that develops and say, yes, this person should be removed from a position of trust. But that's different than enjoying the fall of the person. And, and like Agreed. rolling around in, in the muck there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the, pe- the people who like to bathe in the filth of... You know, others' mistakes. Yeah. Those are despicable people. I'd like to bathe in their mistakes. (laughs) You know, I I don't watch the channel, but I'll say the few times that I've been exposed to the (laughs) E-Network. Am I saying it right? Is that the right one? You just said exposed. (laughs) Isn't it the E-Network? Yeah. That's basically, that's what they do all day long, every day. Yes. And and they're just, they're shallow, shallow people. Yeah. That's what tell. That's what network show the network the TV show the soup is on, right? But it's like it's a show mocking themselves, right? No, they're they're mocking other people as well. They're but but, but I mean they include themselves. The, it's kind of Jordan McDearish in the aspect of make fun of me too. Ah, uh, sure, yeah, they make fun of all television. Yeah, all television. They're fair and balanced. <laughs> they're fair and balanced in their sarcastic wit. Well, we went on a rant here that is not even anywhere yep. near my notes. <laughs> it was life in the public square and how we deal with celebrities. So that, that's, uh, okay. that came out of my notes. Okay. Uh, my first thing was talking about the focus groups. Okay. And how much stock should you put into them? For, at, on a certain level, they do represent yeah. a probably a small percentage of you know the, the nation as a whole or some general area. So I get why you would statistically want to get data from them. But I, I guess I haven't really been a part of that many focus groups, so I don't really know. But what I do know of them is cursory, and it's always been, really, why are we listening to focus groups? It seems like everybody hates focus groups, <laughs> except for you know the the people who are holding the money or something. I don't know. Um, I, I'm looking for the title of a book here. Uh, I want to say it's called. Chances are, but I could be mistaken about that. Yes, it's called Chances Are. Chances Are. <laughs> uh, the subtitle is Adventures in Probability. It's written by Michael and Ellen Kaplan. Um, I think that anybody who is going to... I almost went with the word expose again. <laughs> anybody, Violate? Violate? Anybody who's going to dive into focus group data uh-huh. ought to have to have at least the level of understanding a statistical application that a book like Chances Are would give you. So, it's again, it's Chances Are, Adventures in Probability by Michael and Ellen Kaplan. If you want to go read it, 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 for me, helped me understand a lot of what you really can and can't get out of statistically significant data. Just because it's statistically significant doesn't mean... You know, you're going to understand it, and it's going to say exactly what it seems like at first blush. Yeah. So I, I'm okay with the concept of focus groups as long as the people who are consuming the focus group data 
actually understand what it is that they're that they're reading. Okay, science schmines. <laughs> now I know a few Christian people. Yeah, not necessarily Mormons, by the way. Who, if they saw something like that, which is basically they're making fun of all religions out there. Yes, but they're making fun of them all equally. Yeah. Well, sure. <laughs> if they were to see that portrayed out there on you know Saturday Night Live, would be deeply offended at something like that. That someone could be mocking their views, and you know trying to poke holes in it or show how silly that it is. I guess I'm one of those weird people who thinks we need stuff like that so that it will force some people to start thinking about what they truly believe in their religion. Interesting. Shove it in their face and make them say, yeah, you know what? God created the world in six days, and on the seventh he rested. Well, uh, I, I guess science is telling us that, you know, the earth is really millions and billions of years old. How does that marry up with my belief in religion? Yeah. And, you know, does this, you know, does this step all over the toes of what I believe about science? Um, in one of the other podcasts that I do, um, which is a, a specifically a religious podcast, we talked about this a little bit to the extent that it was, look... Science and religion don't have to be mutually exclusive. You know, they don't have to be the oil and water that people make them out to be. Right. Truth is truth. Whether it's religious truth or scientific truth, it is truth. And what is true for one should be true for another. And it probably is the case that we just don't have enough information yet. As evidenced by the the best example of the Flat Earth Society. Yeah. Who all claimed, no, 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 the Earth isn't round. It's flat. You'll go off the edge of the Earth if you go over the ocean. And that was the best thinking of the time. That's what science was telling us. I think that we need to stop getting into this idea of polarizing ourselves to the extent of saying science and religion cannot possibly share the same truth. And so I like or I'm not upset when people want to try and shine a light on um, you know what looks weird or goofy from about science or weird and goofy about religion. Let's force yourself to shine a light on what you maybe believe. Where I don't care for it is when they get into the rude, the vindictive, the mean-spirited, let's just make fun of this because they're weird. Okay. Um, you know, I wish I could remember where I came across this, but it was an essay or a book or something that I read where the guy was talking about, it used to be that the difference between science and religion was that religion said, nope, we've got all truth, which I don't, I don't believe is true. Uh, you know, our, one of the key principles of our religion is, there's ongoing revelation. We don't have all truth yet. Um, but, you know, he says that the, one of the key differences between most religions and science was religion was saying, we've got all truth, we know everything that can ever possibly be known, and here's how it is. And science was saying, well, we don't know. In fact, there's a whole bunch of things 
We don't even know that we don't know. You know, the unknown unknowns out there. And it has become, in more recent years, religion saying, we know everything and it's like this. And science saying, no, we know everything and it's like this. And he was making the point that scientists have to get back to this integrity of thought of, look, we we know we don't know everything. Yeah. We, are, we are comfortable with that. That's the whole point of science. It's, it's the exploration and the discovery that right. is what we're here for. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, I, I wish I could remember who to credit that to, but... You know, uh, Peter Nash? No, I, I don't think I've ever read any of your Sorry. position papers. Dr. Nash. Oh, okay. That could be. Okay, uh, I guess moving on here. Um, do you believe in, in deferred ent entry of judgment type rulings? I'm not familiar with them. Basically, the, the judge has the authority to say, you know what, even though you broke the law, I've looked at this particular example. It was a fairly benign instance of you breaking the law. Do some community service and we'll call it even. We're not even going to enter it on the record that you were even here. I could be okay with that. Okay. I, I could. Now, it, where I'd like to be is seeing how often that judge is handing that out. If that becomes his de facto statement to everybody, <laughs> then I'm going to have a problem with, with something like that happening. Do you have a problem with it going the other direction where you have what are called hanging judges where it's like, if you get that judge, it doesn't matter how trivial your crime was, you're screwed? The, the difficulty is the fact that the judge is responsible for enforcing the law. I mean, that's that's part of what he does. No. Okay, fine, if you want to call it interpreting okay. the law. <laughs> but still, the the police bring them here and say, okay, they did this thing wrong, here's our evidence of it, and then he has to say, yep, you're right, that is correct, okay, here's your punishment. I, I consider that enforcing the law at that point. Okay. That's part of... You know, you broke the law, you now have to reap the punishment because of it. I get that he that's his responsibility. I wish we lived in a perfect world where there was a judge <laughs> who could understand the entire circumstance and be sure. able to go back 50 or 100 different years and see the, the things that played out to get that person to that point in their life where they did the really stupid thing, you know? Um, but I, I think I would be okay with it. Okay. I think I'm okay. The, the reason I... I what, what I'd like to see is change the rules so that the judge can't just constantly, you know, hand out these terrible, horrible um, uh, convictions, not convictions, Sentences. punishments to the people. Okay. The reason I wanted to qualify your your assertion that he's enforcing the law to, he's interpreting the law, is because that is that particular phrasing is why I'm okay with this deferred entity of judgment. It's exactly what the judge's job is, to interpret the law and to interpret whether there's any leeway in this law for people who, you know, broke it maybe in, in not such a serious or, or malicious or, you know, you know, minor manner or whatever whatever the circumstances were. He's literally doing, in my opinion, the interpretation. And that's what he's there for. So I'm okay with it. Okay. Should you use Ricky and Ron? Or maybe would you use Ricky and Ron as the writers? So 
they, they seem to be painting these guys as hacks who don't know how to do anything but write bad situation comedy. Yeah. So, Ricky and Ron, they're set. You can't get rid of them. Can't fire them. Would you use any of their stuff? No. I, you know, I am... I And I, I realize that this is probably a character flaw for me. But not only can I not generally... Not only would I not be able to use Ricky and Ron's stuff, but I have a hard time effectively using anyone whose who's level of skill I don't feel is up to mine. So when I have a, a junior member on my staff, you know, maybe a junior developer who doesn't have as much experience as I do... Um, I you know it's a criticism that's been leveled at me many times in my career that I don't do a good job of giving them opportunities to grow because I know I can't trust them. <laughs> I, I know I can't trust them. And, and it's not any reflection on them as a person. I just know they don't have the experience to handle this and it has to be done right. So I'm going to do it and I do it all the time and it, it leaves them in this position where they have no opportunities to grow and get any better. Right. And it becomes this like negative feedback loop that perpetuates itself. You prevent I, them from shining is what you do. Yeah. And, and, and it's, it's a, like I said, it's, it's something that I know is a flaw in myself. I haven't yet figured out how to fix it. Because even though I can intellectually say out loud, yeah, I know it's the wrong thing. Deep down inside, and, and maybe even not that deep, I'm going, still, I got the job done. It got done right. Who cares? <laughs> Honestly, okay. who cares? So we know how you feel about the junior developer. Well, how do you feel about the junior mint? I am a big fan of the junior mint. Okay. I mean, it's it's you, you have to you have to have them. They have to be undeformed. Okay. You have to get the mint. Has to have a pure and undefiled. <laughs> it, it, it can't be crushed. The chocolate shell can't be crushed in any way. If if the chocolate shell has any kind of damage to it, then you have to put it off to the side. And what you do is you take the chocolate and you put it in your mouth and you leave it in your mouth until the chocolate has completely melted away. You don't put any friction on it until the chocolate's completely gone. And then you put friction on it and chew the minty stuff. And then when the whole box of undefiled ones, to use your word, is gone, then you just take the the mass of of ones with damaged shells, you crush them into a big ball, stick it in your mouth and chew it. This is the proper way to eat a box of junior mints. And people call me obsessive. (laughs) This is who you want to elect to Congress, people. I hope you're happy with him. Uh, can we have this conversation moving? <laughs> the walk and talk. Classic Sorkin. Yep. Classic Sorkin. Um, okay. What do you think about the bear joke? <laughs> I, don't, I, I thought it was funny. It, it was okay. She delivered it. I don't think she delivered she it. She delivered it seriously. This utterly ridiculous, stupid thing, she delivers deadpan as though she's a real newscaster. And <laughs> the bear was said, reported to say, Rawr! Come on, that's hilarious! It was funny. I chuckled. I, didn't, I don't think I laughed out, you know, heartily or anything. By the way, let's not have to choose funniest moment for the season. Okay. <laughs> It's going to be too difficult. Well, my wife already has chosen hers, so but we'll get to that. Um, I like this saying that Jack Rudolph had. Thieves get rich and saints get shot and God don't answer prayers a lot. I don't know where that came from, 
but uh, he threw it out there. I was like, oh, it's a little little bit of poetry, a little couplet there. And yeah, you know, it tends to, I think, reflect the way the real world works a lot. Yeah, yeah. Not I, that I, God I, doesn't answer prayers, but people have the impression frequently that God doesn't answer prayers. I, I didn't think it was that interesting. Okay, here's something I wanted to bring up. And far be it from me to defend actors as though we somehow need to stand up for them. But everyone sees actors as these self-absorbed, self-obsessed, attention whores. But I, I was, because of this episode, I, I'm thinking that maybe that, that's just a way that their job is, you know, valued. We look at them and if we don't laugh, if we don't like the portrayal that they put forward... If enough of that happens, they don't work anymore. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Uh, I think there's a little bit of selection bias going on here, though. The the kind of people who end up as actors are the kind of people who are drawn to being <laughs> measured in that way. You, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. You, you don't I, 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 uh... become an actor... Professionally, at least not at the level that we're talking about for for these characters, without having deep down inside of you something that is fundamentally broken to the point where it's <laughs> not fair. It's <laughs> not fair. You need that constant adulation to to motivate yourself and get yourself out of bed in the morning. This is how they financially support themselves, though, Joey. But they need to have our uh, adoration. They need our applause. I and their that. need is greatest. I understand where you're going with that, and I get the joke. But you know, I'm saying I, I think that I think that it's it's a chicken and egg thing. Yes, they're, they're you know that is their job, and that's how they're that's how they're measured. But they were like that before they got a job that measured them that way. It's possible that that's the case. I guess there's probably a smaller percentage of people who got into the business, and now they have become this because that's how they're judged. Yeah, it, it, I, I, you're sure. There, I'm sure there's some... some I was watching a, a documentary on the Biography Channel about Rodney Dangerfield. Okay. And when he did the movie Caddyshack, at the time, he was huge. He was a big comedian, but he hadn't been on anything. Caddyshack was really his first break, you know, his first movie. I've never seen Caddyshack, so... Oh, wow. Okay, <laughs> a classic of comedy. Uh, by the way, there's a surprising amount of nudity in the movie. <laughs> yeah. That's probably why I've never seen it. Yeah, that's why. Because you're so wholesome about your no, choices I... with nudity. <laughs> Come on. Because I grew up in a controlled environment where I was kept yeah. away from that kind of so thing. So you've never seen any movie from the 80s that had any amount of nudity in it? Uh, only because I chose to after I left home. <laughs> anyway, the, the nudity is besides the point. Oh, I, I was pretty sure it was the point. Rodney Dangerfield. Nude? <laughs> I don't want to hear about that. A lot, a lot more nude than you realize. Um... He was in this movie, and he plays this character, you know, this wild, outlandish guy, 
And as they were shooting scenes, you know, after the takes, he would come over and he was like, oh my gosh, oh, this is not going well. This is, this is doing terrible. And they're like, what, what's wrong? He's like, I'm not getting any laughs. No one's laughing here. I'm dying out there. I mean, this is going terrible. No respect. Yeah. <laughs> and so that was the, my film, by the way. <laughs> yes, I I caught that. Um, the the and they had to sit him down and say, "Oh, dude, yeah, this is movies. We're not supposed to be laughing. You know, if we do, then we lose the take, and it's no good." Um. Anyway, I I think that yeah, maybe Rodney Dangerfield for sure was one of those people who was already a little unsure about himself. Yeah. But I I just that's what they have to deal with. That's their you know barometer. That so I, I guess maybe let's give the actors a little bit of a break. Okay. That's that's my main point. That was my PSA. For actors. You know, what's interesting is I think that Matt has just as much of a problem with this as any of the actors do. Oh, for sure. For he sure. has to have that constant adoration. That he, he thrives on it. He is driven by and motivated by the success. Yeah. Doing it right. Which I think we would the both of us applaud. Yes. And, but it's it's gonna it's, it's, it's gonna it's cause a negative cycle. <laughs> I, I don't know if you noticed all of the stimulants that he had yeah. on his desk. Yeah, he had uh, a coffee cup from you know some place. He had another coffee mug, and he was also drinking a Red Bull. I mean, that's not a healthy lifestyle <laughs> choice. Do, do you think uh, Matthew Perry's really downing all that caffeine or <laughs> I don't <know>. water? <laughs> I know he's had his he had his troubles with uh, pain pills. For a while, oh, okay. he was a bit of an addict during the the French. Interesting, yeah. Anyway, I, I don't have anything more to say about this episode. I think I have a few other things. Yeah, we've said a lot about this episode. Um, performance reviews. How, how do you feel about performance reviews? I'm okay with them. Do you seek them out? Do you like them? Do you... I don't seek them out. You don't seek them out. You're not because I don't respect the person that I would have to get them from. <laughs> my boss. I, you, I don't you, respect. You my never boss. have ever respected a boss enough to seek out a performance review from him. Not the one I'm working for now. I'm saying, has there been a point in your career where sure. you've been? Sure, there like, have been many, many times where I've said, "Is everything going right? Are we doing this okay?" Gotcha. Uh, I, so I, I recently have. at work went from a situation where I basically could, I mean, you know. For, for lack of a better way to put it, I could read the mind of my boss. I knew exactly what he wanted. In any scenario, you could have presented a hypothetical to me and I could have told you exactly what he would have wanted me to do. And in many cases, I actually stood in for him because he trusted me that I knew him well enough. That you know, And, and so I never sought a performance review from him because I knew exactly what he thought. Uh, my, my new boss, and I've only been working for him since December 1st, and... He's Chinese, and, and I don't know if it's a cultural difference or, or what's going on, but I can't ever tell what he thinks about me. Can't ever tell if I'm, you know, is, is he happy with the job I'm doing? Is he hating it and he just doesn't dare tell me? And, and so it's it's been really rough for me and I, because I don't want to be the guy that's constantly calling him and saying, hey, hey, boss, did I do a good job? Huh? 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 Did you like that? Did I do good today? I, you know, I don't want to be that guy. But at the same time, right now where I'm at, I... 
I have no idea what he thinks about <laughs> me as an employee. And and you know, talking with other people on my team, they have the same concern. You know, we've all said, boy, we can't we can't read this guy. We can't tell what he's, you know what his what he's thinking about us as a team. I just had in my mind. You're just sitting there. Your desk is so distraught. You're just like calling him up. Like, are we doing okay? Can I have a hug? <laughs> <laughs> Calling him up and hanging up. Like, I don't dare ask. <laughs> <laughs> Joe, you do realize I, I, I got the caller ID. Call ID right I, I, I know you're, you're... Why do you keep doing this? Did you need something? <laughs> anyway, so it, it's been awkward for me because historically I've, I've either had... For the most part, it's been I've had people who just did regular performance reviews and said, hey, you know, you're doing a good job. Thumbs up, guy. Or, you know, gave some kind of reward if I was doing well or if I was doing poorly, pulled me aside and talked to me. I've been working for this guy since December 1st, and he's never said I'm doing good. He's never said I'm doing bad. There's been no feedback whatsoever. You're doing neutral then. And it's a little bit awkward and a little bit difficult to tell, you know. eh, Maybe what you could do, maybe you could approach him and say, hey, I just wanted to, you know... Bobby, I was just going to send just, him the link to this podcast. Yeah. Because <laughs> that'll, that'll, be, that'll be great. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, just go to him and say, hey, look, I, is, um, you know, are, are we going to set up some sort of performance review just so I can get a I actually for... had that conversation with him the last time he came. Because he, he worked, part of it is that he works at a remote location. So I work in Provo. He works in Seattle. And he's only here once every other month or so. Um, maybe every six weeks, I think. And, and so I did the last time he was down here. I said, you know, it'd be it'd be nice if you know we could set up. You know, I, said, I came from an environment where I had every two weeks I had a one-on-one with my boss, and you know went over what we're doing. I, I do have a team review with my bot, my current boss, every Monday, but there's no opportunity there for one-on-one feedback and and you know any of that give and take. That what well, it's what allowed me to get to that situation with that former boss to where I knew his mind on every single thing and, and I'd like to be that way because I think that's I think that's where I become the most effective employee and so it's, it's just something I you know wanted to mention is you know if, you, if you're a boss give your employees regular feedback it's a good thing you know I, I think what I'm hearing here and I'll just go ahead and address this uh, everybody, I like you to write a review of Joey's work here on Trek West Five. I think it's high time that we sit him down and uh, maybe point out some of the things he some can of the improve, flaws. Uh, and maybe uh, accentuate uh, some of the positives. I, I, I guarantee you, at least one person's going to write in now and tell us the volume fluctuates too much between podcasts. <laughs> because it's one, and so you guys, just so you guys know, you don't have to write in on that one. I know it bothers me too. I just. <laughs> have not made it a priority to fix it. <laughs> Who is that, Aaron? I don't know. I just... I oh, I know it bugs me, so there's got to be at least one of our listeners that's annoyed by it. Yeah. Um, I like the, the understanding and respect that Jordan has for how the relationship between Danny and Matt works. She goes to Danny when she has something, and she talks to him and then says, okay, now let's go talk to Matt. Because she knows that Danny's the filter. Yeah. And, and and she works within that. Danny's more emotionally stable. Yeah. For sure. Uh, I, so I think one of the funnier moments of these four episodes is Danny and Jordan walk in to Matt's office. <laughs> and Danny says, hey, Matt, she wants us to make fun of her. 
And right immediately, no hesitation. So he's like, well, okay, your teeth are kind of big. She's yeah. like, no, that's not my... Wait, what's wrong with my teeth? <laughs> I just love that he had something right there. That is yeah. incredibly well done. Uh, I don't know I don't know if anybody else is, is doing this, but I'm having a lot of fun this time around paying attention to the TV sets in the background of the of what's going on. So... You know, because I've seen the action and I know the dialogue and stuff enough at this point, I'm trying to watch the TV sets. Whenever somebody walks past the TV set and try to identify, what are they showing on that TV right now? Is that something that, was that an NBC show, you know, that they had to get rights for? Um, you know, I also go back to, you know, the, when Wes had his big rant and they're like, you know, pimping my sister and they're like, which show was he talking about? Was it one of ours? We don't even know. And Jordan laughs at that. She's like, Come on, it's a little bit funny. We don't know whose I'm pimping my sister show he was making fun of. Uh, so anyway, I, I, I'm enjoying watching the TVs in the background. Um, this is where I had made the note that I wish they'd filmed the episodes and done them back-to-back, filmed the actual skit, sketch comedy show itself. Uh, the last thing I have on this episode is... Um, Danny is a huge manipulator. He manipulates everybody. Especially Matt. Uh, are you okay with that? Yeah. He's the boss. He's trying to get a certain thing out of his employees. He label him a jerk for doing it, but as a boss, yeah. Okay. If that's, if that's what he's trying to get done. So as long as I'm getting good he, results on the podcast, he, it's okay for me to manip- manipulate you. Yeah. You, you may not make any friends because of it, and when you're done, you may have this incredibly glorious thing, but... You may have lost all of the friends that you could have gained while okay. doing it. I'm okay with that. I, I like the way you put that there. Uh, it is very interesting. Uh, you know, we talked about how Matt is an an attention hound or a applause hound. Um, as he's walking out, you know, he he says to Danny, "We both know there's only one direction this story can go from here." And they bring up the music. Will you still love me tomorrow? I thought that was was a nice little touch there. Okay, do we have any listener comments? No, nope, we're episode? done. We're uh, done. Then, Pete, your television rating. I give this a six. Oh. It comes down a little bit. Um, I, again, it's not because of anything bad at all. It's just this is, we're leveling off a little bit more. You know, we hit the high, we're going we're gonna to come down a little bit more, and... I just didn't see anything that was that stellar, that stupendous. Okay. I also gave it a six. I want to say that while it's not as uproariously funny as maybe the earlier episodes were, I think that this episode, at least in my imagination, this episode is funny in the way Jeannie's skit is funny. They're talking about Jeannie's skit in there. They're like, yeah, it's not that kind of funny. Right. This episode is the other kind of funny that they're that they're looking for. And I think it's great that they put that aspect in an episode that is funny in that way. Right. I, I like that kind of the meta metagame that he played there. So I also gave this a six. Moving on to our next episode, The West Coast Delay. The show faces a legal nightmare when a viewer notices that a joke in the news segment was plagiarized. Or was it? <laughs> Uh, you know, I'm just going to jump right to towards the end here and say my favorite point in this whole episode is when Jack Rudolph calls over and he's like, what the H is going on over there? 
look forward to episode five too when we can find out if uh, people really got turned on by that you know the viewers yeah. are like oh man this is awesome because <laughs> i think if i saw it i would find it really I w- stinking I would, funny i would have laughed yeah um okay so i don't have a ton of notes you mentioned you don't have a ton here I think that's by design. There isn't much to talk about here. Plagiarism is really the main issue uh, here. That's a big deal um, for Matt as the head writer. It's his name going out there, getting this stuff published. And if you know he gets labeled as someone who's stealing other people's stuff, um, I've known a couple of uh, stand-up comics, and I know that. You don't steal somebody else's joke. That's not okay. It's not okay. It's funny that you say that because I see it happen all the time among professional comedians. I'm like, I've heard that exact joke word for word from another comedian. Apparently, uh, I'm not going to the same comedy shows you are. (laughs) Well, I'm talking about on television when I watch, like, you know, not sketch comedy, but uh, stand-up comic, like The Last Comic Standing and stuff like that. That I see those people ripping each other off, and there used, used to be another show that's kind of like Last Comic Standing, but it was just hmm. the comedy club. It was one of the comedy club shows. Uh, at, at any rate, the writing staff manages to produce something funny. <laughs> Turns out it's stolen from some guy named Lenny Gold. Lenny Gold. Now I like the we get to see a bit of the YouTube clip, um, and the guy who's playing the role of Lenny Gold, I like that comedian. Yeah, I do too. He's really funny. Um, at any rate, comes to find out, Lenny Gold stole it actually from some guy named Ben Barkley, <laughs> who, as it turns out, worked for Studio 60. At the time that he wrote it. At the time that he wrote it, and so Studio 60 owned that joke. And so... they All did... this apology they were making. <laughs> yeah, so they do the show... And this is episode four. We actually get to see more of the actual show happening. Like bits and pieces of each one of the sketches. Some of them looked pretty funny. (laughs) They really did. I would have liked to have seen the whole thing. Uh, The funniest is Juliette Lewis on Meet the Press. (laughs) My gosh! That was genius. Tiny Dean. Oh, and what was the thing with the retainer though? I didn't, I didn't understand. Did, did, was that something that she actually did at some point? Maybe. Okay, but I don't care. It's, it's still just funny. funny. <laughs> that was so incredibly funny. Um, anyway, so we come to find out we've stolen this joke, and son of a gun, turns out things aren't as black and white as what we'd like them to be. Ricky and Ron grow a backbone. <laughs> they grow a spine to the point of saying, no, this was our screw-up. It was the room. We're not giving you the name. We're not selling out here. We no. will not divulge any more communists to you. And Matt says, huh, yeah, I, all right. I, you guys finally have my respect. Which, it's easier <laughs> for us to just hate Ricky and Ron. Yeah. They're despicable, evil people, right? Yes. I guess not. Um, and anyway, hilarity ensues because they have to cut in three times to correct it, then correct the correction, and then apologize for having to 
correct, correct it at all. <laughs> um, anyway, that that was enjoyable, and uh, I that's all I really have to say about the episode. So um, don't plagiarize, don't steal. There is. I, I should. I have to point out here that my wife wanted me to mention her favorite, her funniest moment for the entire first series of Studio Sixty. <laughs> the entire series. Yeah. Uh, is hey, uh, you want to go get something to eat? No, I still have two twenty to fill. Well, let's go out. Maybe something funny will happen. I can't just wait for something funny to happen. I have to make something funny happen. And he sits down and the bat goes through the window. <laughs> and yeah. she just laughs out loud. And no matter how many times she's seen that scene, she starts giggling, coming up to it, and then laughs out loud at it. <laughs> don't tell her this, but I don't think it's that funny. <laughs> I, didn't think, I told her already. I'm like, yeah, that's not one of the funnier moments of Studio Six. I find that one one of the more cheesier, like, oh, brother, I see this one coming a mile away. That just, for some reason, that hits her funny bone, so. Okay, well, I'm happy that it can shatter her funny bone like it did that glass. <laughs> what do you think of D.L. Hughley? This is the only thing I know that I've seen him in. He did a sitcom, I want to say for ABC, um, a while ago. And it did well for a while, and it was, again, it was another one of those, like, featuring um, a minority, a black person in this major role. I think they were kind of going for Cosby show is, <laughs> but, like, a little more edgier. Okay. Um, because D.L. Hughley, he's never been, uh, you know, an in-the-hood kind of comedian. He's always kind of been this... Affluent-looking yeah. comedian, he really is. Um, do you like him as an actor? In this? I like him as Simon. Do I, you I believe him as an actor? I guess is what I'm getting yeah. at. Yes, I do. I I do too. Which it doesn't always transfer over for a comedian to be able to become yeah. a a, an a, actor. a good actor. Yeah. And I think he did a, a just a decent job. With being able to portray this character, in so you're saying he actually has roots in comedy? Yes, he, he was a stand-up. Really com- he was okay. a stand-up comedian. Okay. That's how he got to where he was. I, I didn't know that. Like I said, I think this is the only time I've ever seen D.L. Hughley. I don't know what he's done since. I'm not sure he's done much of anything, um, or at least that I am aware of in my limited world. So anyway, I just wanted to get your thoughts on him. I, I like him. I like him too. Okay, Joey, ready? I'm going to give this a five because it's just middle of the road. I I couldn't, I even have trouble finding anything to write down to talk about it. So I give this a six and it's because the humor is so prevalent in all this. I find a lot of this funny and then it helps to cover up. There's not a lot of issues to discuss like we had in the first three episodes. Meet the press with, with, uh, I'll go with the six too. That was pretty funny. (laughs) She nails Juliette Lewis with that look. She really does. (laughs) Well, that brings us to the end of another episode of the Homestarmy Presents Trek West 5. We hope that you've learned something, had some laughs, and we always invite your comments to our email at trekwest5 at thehomestarmy.com. Or you can tweet us at hashtag TrekWest5, or call and leave us a voicemail at 801-788-4913. So until next time, I am Joey. And I am Peter. And thanks for listening.